what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to the Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode number 58. And we're talking about, uh, I'd say, a hero in the Metallica world. For sure. He is responsible for some of the most iconic Metallica designs on T-shirts, releases, DVDs, St. Anger. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Pusshead this week. We've gotten, ever since we started the podcast over a year ago, we've gotten a lot of requests. People really want to hear about this guy. And I found out through my research why they want to hear about him, because there's almost no information about him. Uh, Yeah. Um, Clint and I were both doing some research and texting each other. and, And at one point, I couldn't even find when he was born. Right. And we just found out he was born in 2014, so we, yeah, yeah. we did he, crack the code on that. Yeah, we did crack the code, yeah. So he did some great work uh, pre-birth. But we actually did find, a, we we had to scour, and we, but we did find kind of his origin story, how he came up making art, how he met Metallica, how he got involved. We'll, we're probably going to be talking about both of our unique favorite uh, works of art of his. Oh, yeah. Um, before that, if you don't know who we are, if you're joining us for the first time, we are an all-Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are both two touring musicians based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and every week we get together to talk about Metallica. We're glad you're joining us. From We actually have gotten a lot of new listeners. So Yeah, we've had a lot of emails recently, with, uh, brand new listeners, just new, new to the show, so welcome, you guys. Yeah, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. I think you guys are going to dig it. I think you guys are going to dig the sauce. There's a lot of sauce to be dug. Yeah, and I think if you like sauce. If you like sauce, Which all I sorts do. of sauce. Yeah. I love sauce. Uh, barbecue sauce, um, I love... Frank's hot sauce. That's I love two, Metallica that's two sauce. sauces. Metallica sauce. Metallica sauce. Yeah. yeah, it's just the sweat of James Hetfield. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a post show. You get sweat. his armband that he throws out, and then you squeeze it like onto a salad. Yeah, onto a salad. And then I, you I, get I, hepatitis. I would squeeze it over like some tacos or something. <laughs> tacos and make it extra salty. <laughs> Your Californian comes out when you say tacos. Tacos. You, otherwise, yeah. you're like it's a totally normal accent. Like, well, you know what I would do? I would take that sauce and I would spread it over some tacos. <laughs> tacos, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude. Let's knock out. So, so we, we've got some housekeeping shit. It's really important to the podcast. We don't do it just to toot our own horns, but the the life and culture of the podcast is such now that we have all this stuff we need to talk about before we start talking about Pusshead. Uh, the first thing is this iTunes contest. Every month, Ethan and I give out gifts. Uh, we draw five names. And uh, the way that you put your name in the running is you just leave us a positive iTunes review, and then your name goes into a queue, and we draw five a month. Yep. This month is pretty cool, and actually sort of topical. Um, the grand prize this month is going to be the Kill 'Em All remastered vinyl. Correct. Which even if you don't own a record player, this is a cool thing, cool p- bit of Metallica merch to own. Yeah, it's a and good it, piece to hang on the wall or put up on a shelf or something. And I would say, like, if you're not on the vinyl train, it might be a good excuse to hop on it because. Ethan and I are both vinyl lovers, and it's just such a cool way. It's it's a lot more than nostalgia. It really is a cool, interactive way to engage music, listen to music, in this sort of like... Uh, I'm like Brian Lefsitz all of a sudden. You but are, it, but, yeah. it, but in the certain sort of digital instant gratification climate of music consumption, where it just seems like music has become really disposable. Vinyl slows you down. You have to actually get up to change sides. Yeah. 
you can hold the physical product in your hand. You can look at the, the liner notes on the artwork. It's just it's a, a really great commitment because you have it you, is a commitment. You have to you, you know, get the record out. You put it on the turntable. Put the needle down. I prefer to throw a good set of headphones on. Same. Sit back, hold the artwork, read along with the lyrics and the artwork. You know, obviously it's way bigger. It's a twelve inch vinyl usually. Um, so yeah, you commit to this thing and you commit to listening to it all the way through. You can't just like skip a track really quick. If you want to skip a track, you have to lift the needle and hopefully get it right in between those grooves. And like, it's not so much of an old man get off my lawn thing. Like I listen to music probably mostly on my phone, like at the gym or in my car. I I listen with my in-ears all the time, but it is a way of listening to music that's very intentional. And I I think, I think, I think, you know, like any diet, um, you want to, you want to put some good nutrients in there. And I think vinyl is a a great way to do it. So we gave away vinyl at our uh, party. If you guys heard that episode, I was hearing it for the first time almost, (laughs) even though I lived it. My yeah. wife, my wife, my wife and I, um, I just went down to the, uh, 30A songwriters festival. I was playing some of my songs down there and okay. on the way back, we listened to the new episode and my wife put in earbuds and like, Oh, do you, you know, my wife's not a big metallic fan, but I was right. like, Oh, it's too boring for you. And she was like, I just couldn't stand to hear you that drunk. <laughs> She's like, I'm just so tired of hearing your drunk ass slur your way. I hear it every night, night after nine o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we gave away vinyl that party. We're, we're giving away vinyl for the month of January just because Ethan and I both just love it. Yeah. And we, and we want you, we want to share <clears throat> that, you know, love of vinyl with you guys. And hopefully it encourages you to go out and buy more records, get a record player. And, and that's, the, oh, that's speaking of which, um, we do have a new thing where um, we're going to talk about the Patreon here in a second, but if you don't want to get on the Patreon train, Ethan and I have become Amazon associates. And what that means is anytime you buy anything via Amazon, if you do it through our little store, it gives a kickback to the show. Yeah. So like we're going to do this for Pusshead Art um, after this episode. If you want to buy any of his prints or anything like that, we're going to have a way for you to buy it via Amazon, and it also supports the show. Right, yeah. So if you already buy things on Amazon, why not do it through our our avenue, and then it helps us out a little bit. As easy as it is to buy shit with Prime these days, like my wife and I do a lot of shopping on Amazon. Sorry, I'm like burping. <laughs> and like you're I'm about like to start crying. I'm, I'm still suffering from this tooth thing yeah. from my tooth extraction, so I'm still kind of fucked up on that. But anyway, <laughs> um, the iTunes contest, so the, the vinyl, the Kill em All remaster is the, sort of the big prize, but we're also doing um, one of those black balls that they would throw down at the at, during Seek and Destroy. Yeah. It says Metallica on it. Uh, the Scary Guy Stencil Ooh, nice. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I technically have one of those. It's in the uh, Binge and Purge box set. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So we got one of those. We got the Ride the Lightning fleece blanket. And then we've got this, like, um, it's this puss head. Um, he did it around the load reload era, but it, it's these two yin yang s- flaming skulls. And the center is the ninja star. Yeah. And it's a hockey puck. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, pretty cool. I haven't seen that. Yeah. So for all you Canadian listeners out up there, yeah, A. A. You might like a puck, a puss head. A puck head? Puck head. <laughs> Eh? <laughs> it's that'll boot. <laughs> so anyway, boot? it's really easy. We we want to give p- gifts like this every month, and um, the only way, the easiest way to do it is just go leave us that review, and you might win every month. Your chances of winning only get better. It's literally the easiest thing, and it's easy to do, and it does support the show. So go leave the yeah. review. It's really easy to do. Yeah, and speaking of supporting the show, uh, Patreon, which we just mentioned, if you want to uh, support the show in, in this way, you can go to Patreon. That's P A T R O E N. No, that was wrong. P A T R-E-O-N, sorry. P-A-T, R-E-O Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Dot gov. Name one R-E-O Speedwagon song. Uh, come so, no, that's, that's, no. um, oh, they, 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 um, what's their big ballad in the 80s? They had a million, but I can't think of one. Oh, shoot. 
Well, you know what we just did right there is we just allowed ourselves to get like a thousand emails like, um, Ario Speedwagon, actually it was... Their most popular song was the Outlaw Torn on the S&M record. <laughs> anyway, uh... So if you go to patreon.com slash metal up your podcast, you can see what we're all about over there. Different tiers of things you can donate to, and it helps us out financially. It helps us give uh, back to our own show, and, and like Clint was talking about, that's how we can provide gifts every month, like Santa Claus. Yeah, and like we were able to buy the gifts for the party with that. We were able to pay for the party with that. Um, Ethan and I are, are not profiting from the show in any way. Every cent we get goes back into the fans, into the show. Um, speaking of that, we have t-shirts and we have like koozies and stickers. We have a new website that we've developed. Yeah, we're now, developing now. Uh, there's there's a chance it, it may not be live by the time this episode airs, but uh, yeah, uh, I just started developing a new. Uh, actual website for us like a one-stop shop kind it's of going to have our social media it's going to have our merch it's going to have our current episodes our youtube page we'll, we'll be able to link like when we did the kill them all box set we'll be able to actually link through our amazon store to buy it if you're interested yeah. it's going to be yeah one-stop shop for all things metal up your podcast yeah, so that so currently metal up your podcast.com goes to pretty much to our simple cast page which is what we do the podcast through so once this launches, you know, we'll announce on our social media, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. Once it launches, then you'll be able to go there as a one-stop shop, buy merch, all that good stuff. We did get two new patrons this week, and I wanted to shout them out. One is our new friend, Meg Clay. We're going to hear from Meg elsewhere in this episode. Yeah. But I wanted to say thanks to Meg. And also, uh, Basic Gear Review. Which basic with two S's. Basic. Basic Bitch Gear Review. Like, like mandolin player? <laughs> what? Oh, he's a hurdy-gurdy player for sure. Oh, hurdy-gurdy, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's the hurdy-gurdy peer review. It's the uh, <laughs> it's the lonely hurdy-gurdy player club. There's only one member, and it's the guy that played on Low Man's Lyric. Exactly. Now Speak, he, speaking, he's a patron. Speaking of, <laughs> by the way, thank you guys for being patrons, and thank you to all of our patrons. We've got nothing but love for all of you who. Oh yeah. Do go the extra mile. The cool thing about the Patreon is if you donate five dollars or more you get access to this covers EP that's finally almost done. All four of my songs have been mixed and mastered. Ethan's are a few days away, probably. At, at most, yeah. I still got to sing some BGVs on one of yours. Uh, you don't have to. I think I might uh, just hack it out tomorrow morning. Well, what if I want to? Well, then do it. I actually can't because uh, it's snowed every day, or it's snowed, so Nashville basically shut down. Yeah. So I've been with my kid 24 hours a day, every day this week, <laughs> and uh, I love her to death. She, if you follow me on Instagram, she's the cutest kid in the world, but it's put quite the damper on my work this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, Nashville cancels school when there's like a chance of a dusting. We're just, and we actually got a good amount of snow in the did. last week. It snowed twice and it stuck around for a while. So school kept getting canceled and canceled every single day this week. Well, we get a, we get like this automated phone call and every day, literally every day I, I look forward to that phone call. Cause what I anticipate it saying is school will be open tomorrow. And right. every day it said school will be closed again. I'm like, God damn it. My Hello, daughter's Mr. like, Mr. and Mrs. Wells. <laughs> exactly. School is canceled That's tomorrow. That's kind of what it sounds like. And you will have to spend it all day with your daughter Cancel and not get any your work co-writes. done. <laughs> no more podcasting for you. Ha ha ha. Um, I do. I literally don't remember why we're talking about this. Oh, I was going <laughs> to sing BGVs on that. So anyway, the the EP is cool. If you you got to do five dollars or more, but it's oh, we also got our artwork finalized for it. We did, yeah. Nick Makoviak, this one of our, he's a patron of ours. He's an art teacher. He's a badass artist. And he made some art. This, he actually made this artwork about six or seven years ago based on the song Cyanide. Yeah. That was the concept. And he's very generously let us use it um, for our EP. So 
there's a bunch of really cool shit happening with Patreon. I recommend yeah. checking it out. Yeah, and, and and once the EP is 100% done and all that stuff, it'll be on Patreon for everyone to hear and to download. And uh, you'll be able to preview it on our new website too. If you're if you're if you're on the fence about Patreon and oh, do I want this EP or not? You'll be able to go to MelopyPodcast.com. Do I want this fucking awesome badass EP that my favorite podcast God, put together? It's so good. That's so nice of them. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to go onto our website and preview that. I set up a page just for that. All right, and that's the whole deal. We mentioned our socials. Go follow us on all the shit. That's actually the best way to... Uh, we, we um, Someone reached out on socials and was like, hey, are you guys doing an episode this week or whatever? Like, If we're ever delayed in episodes or if we're ever trying to do something different or with the party or if we're traveling, that's all through our socials. So Yeah, you, you got to get on there if you want the latest up-to-date news. Now, one of the things we do at the top of every show, because we think it's really cool, we like hearing from our listeners, we like the community of Metallica fans that we're trying to cultivate, is we read five or six or ten emails, and uh, having said that, let's get into the emails. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start us off in the old email Let's train. Let's hear it. All right, our first email is from Nelson Gilborn. Hey, guys, I love the content you produced. I am 11. 11-year-old 11 11 fan. Very no cool. Is this our young... Well, no, no Kendallin might be our, one of our youngest oh, fans. Oh, yeah, Kendallin. That's all right. Um, uh, it says, I'm 11, and I've seen ACDC, Iron Maiden, and the Mighty Metallica in London in 2017. That's quite a resume for an 11-year-old. Uh, yeah, kind of. I didn't see my first concert until I was 13, and that was Kiss. Uh, my first, first concert, how old? First concert, uh, I was... When did you first see Millie Vanilli? Millie Vanilli would have been... <laughs> no, um, it was Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> it was actually Ario Speedwagon. Um, actually, I'm pretty stoked to say my first concert I ever went to was at a place called the Showcase Theater in California, and I saw Fishbone. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was my first concert. My first arena show, that was Rush. Oh my God, this is a little bit of a tangent, but okay. I was out in California working in my with my country band, and uh, our runner... A lot of runners that I meet, a runner is basically someone when you're on tour, the venue is provided someone that will take you to and from your hotel or wherever you want to go. And because uh, we're set up in a way where we don't really have to be on the deck until we play, um, we have a crew that sets our stuff up and sound checks it. So what we do is we go to record stores. So we always have a runner taking us to record stores. This one chick looked like kind of like heavily tattooed rock and roll California yeah. chick. And you know, of course, that's interesting. We're like, what's your deal? You know? And, um, she was like a roadie for Fishbone. Whoa. That's, I imagine it's very part-time because they don't tour that much. Very, It is part-time. And I guarantee she's not on any kind of salary or retainer. But no, it was like a labor of love. Like she's just a huge fan. Yeah. Because I guess they had a hiatus and then got back together. Yeah, they, they've, they've kind of come and gone throughout the years. They've been a band for, I mean, since the 80s. They've been around for a long time. She was pretty hardcore. That's awesome. And we, she took us to a record store and she actually found like this weird old rare fishbone like EP awesome. on vinyl. Awesome. Anyway, that, that's the only thing I really know about. I've yeah. never heard their music. I don't know. If, I, I, she said it was kind of far out shit. There's some far out shit in there. There's some like ska stuff in there. There's some like funk right. stuff. There's rock stuff. That, I mean. She said it was, she described it as like funk and ska. Funk, ska. There's some uh, heavy parts. I mean, I'll have to play some fishbone. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's some good stuff. Right on. Um, anyways, back to Nelson's email. He said, uh, in, speaking of London, I was hoping for Spit Out the Bone as it's my favorite song, but they played it two days after. Ooh, so close. So close. Uh, my favorite record is Ride the Lightning, and my favorite cover song is Damage Case. Cool. Very cool. I think I'm the youngest listener at 11. I'm sorry I can't come to any of your events as I live in the UK. You guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. Well, Nelson, you also can't come because you're 11. You're also <laughs> 11, and we tend to, uh, well, the first one we had was at a, a, a bar establishment. Well, Nelson, I think it's really cool that you're listening, and we really appreciate that. And yeah, it's the, awesome. The, it sounds like um, it sounds like you know your music. Ride the Lightning is also my favorite Metallica record, and 
we're really stoked that you're listening, dude. Yeah, man. And you know, we were 11 once too. So, and we, we, we just were a few in, years ago, I was 11. We, we were into cool stuff like this when we were 11. It also didn't exist. You know, when I was 11, I was listening to Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. I really was. Good for you. And Michael Jackson, though. And Prince. Well, that's good. That's right. good stuff. <laughs> you have a pass. Thanks, Nelson. Keep listening, bud. We'll see, we'll see you on the. We'll see you when you turn 18. We'll see, and... we'll see you in 10 years at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next email is from our new patron, Meg Clay. Now, me and Meg have been emailing all day. Um, I'll read her email and I'll kind of elaborate. She's a very cool chick. Yeah. Uh, she says, what's up, dudes? Love the podcast. Life changer. Thanks for all your hard work and dedication. I'm totally a huge Metallica fan. Saw both the Hardwired Philly show, which you were at. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah me too. And the Uniondale show within one week of each other, which that Uniondale show was really cool because um, it was one of the only indoor shows mm-hmm. and it was definitely the only arena show. Right. So they kind of, you know, they played Ride the Lightning. They played Harvester of Sorrow. They, they did... They varied a little bit from the sort of North American worldwide formula. Kind of a coveted show. She says, totally bragging. I got right up front and somehow under James's main mic for both shows and also won Met Club fifth member Meet the Band tickets. And then parentheses, obviously not James, even though he's my favorite. It was the most amazing moment of my life. Duh. I like that 90s duh. Duh. Like a, duh. Remember the duh? Remember no doy. No, I remember no doy. Yeah. Dang, that's old. And now I have a friend named doy. I do too, Doy Gardner. Oh yeah, you know we, Doy. We're yes. both friends with Doy. Wait, you know Doy? No way. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Duh. She says, I was wondering if you could talk more about the band's history and relationship to Pusshead. Well, hello. Well, hello, episode hello, 58. Hello, Pusshead. It's me, the guy that <laughs> was fired before you got involved. Anyway, nice story. She says, I love Brian Schroeder, which is Pusshead's actual name. Isn't it surprising his name isn't Pusshead? I know. His parents didn't name him that. She says, I love Brian Schroeder. I feel like he shaped the badass identity of Metallica, uh, of the Metallica metal music and metal memorabilia. I mean, come on. Misfits and Brockham's rock cards. His skating stuff too, man. So good. Thrasher Magazine and Zorlak Skateboards. His work is so iconic. It's better with age. And you know when you see it that you're looking at Metallica T or a poster. If you could talk about how he came into play with Metallica, that would be totally awesome. And uh, we're about to spend about an hour doing that. Yes. She says, P.S., please do Metallica Night in New Jersey, which we are, by the way, seriously considering. We are considering. If, if it can work out with our schedules this year at some point, maybe when Metallica is playing in New Jersey or New York, and we can make it happen, it would be fucking awesome. Here's another thing that would really help. Um, is We're sort of gauging interest in that. Uh, so I, I know we have a lot of fans in new york proper so but if we did it just right across the river like where it made sense for them to like easily hop on a train over there i mean i know it's not that easy it'd be an hour round trip but if if you live in that area jersey area and you're interested in coming to a metallica night hosted by me and ethan reach out to metal podcast show at gmail.com and let us know because if yeah if there really is enough interest we may be able to pull it off even if they're not playing a show if we just have an open date just do it (laughs) like nike like nike yeah (laughs) That would be fun. She says, PPS, I call dibs on the James Love Doll, circa now and also late 80s post acne. (laughs) Clint, come on, man. Definitely not the load reload era, short hair, silver fox or long hair for days. Thanks again, Meg Clay. Wow. Okay. Well, here's the good news. There's plenty of James Hetfield real dolls to go around. There's so many of them. Yeah. I'll take the load era until it sleeps video era, which I love that. I'm going to go ahead and take no life till leather era. Oh Lord! The bullet belt and the bullet and the leather glove. Remember when he wore that leopard glove? Yeah, just the one glove. <laughs> sort of this like thrash metal Michael Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Meg, thank you, Meg, for the email. That's uh, we're glad you're a listener. We're glad you're uh, in communication with us about this kind of stuff. Meg seems super cool, and I got to say, a lot of the um, a lot of the info that we found on Pusshead uh, today, she sent me like this cool interview with him, and she kind of really, she kind of actually helped curate a little bit of this episode. She actually so, saved the podcast. She actually is Pusshead. We were going to cancel the podcast today. We're like, I yeah. can't find a lot of info on Pusshead. Let's just stop doing this in whole show. In a world. In a world, we're going to cancel a podcast. This time it's Pusshead. Meg Clay saves the day. All right, Meg, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Our next email. <laughs> oh, welcome to Tangent Night here on the middle of your podcast. Uh, next email is from Joey Swords. I like that you say Swords. You've I, done that twice I, now. I, you know what? I'm ba- it's Swords. I know it's Swords, but I like when someone <laughs> oh, says you do Swords. Ah, uh, you're doing it as a as an intentional affectation. Yes, totally. Like, uh, you know, draw your sword. I thought you were just like reading it phonetically. Yeah, uh, this uh, is jo- Joey. Uh, Joey Swords. swords uh. <laughs> All right, from Joey Swords. <laughs> Hey, fellas. I just listened to the party recap show. It was hard to make myself wait a whole day, but the uh, show always makes the start of my work week a lot more bearable. You guys didn't disappoint. Uh, I love the sort of special event episodes. You uh, you guys keep it loose and let the tangents roll. Oh, it's loose. Oh, it's so loose. It's loose. Um, anyways, if you get the chance, I'd love to hear you guys talk a little bit more about Pusshead. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk a little bit more about the differences between podcasting and your everyday careers as musicians, more specifically recording musicians. In the studio, you slave over guitar parts and vocal lines to get the perfect take. For a podcast, you hit record to capture a conversation, then you release it, flaws and all. And we'll get into that. Um, of course, uh, there's post-production involved, um, but you know what I mean. Does this feel at all compared to recording in the music world? Has Wait, po- does this feel freeing? Oh, sorry. Does, does this feel freeing at all compared to recording in the, in the music world? Has podcasting changed how you go about recording on a song slash album at all? Maybe being slightly less calculated and going with your initial instinct more often. That's a really good question. Very good question. He says, I know these are, he underlined this, totally different uh, worlds and may not not intersect at all. That's the case, never mind. Either way, keep it up. This is one of the only podcasts I always listen to, regardless of the topic or guest. I hope to make it down to a future Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica night somewhere. Cool. Well, thanks, Joey Swords. Thank you, Joey Swords. Excuse me. So differences between... Uh, Ethan and I's day job, which is to either um, play live on a stage for an artist or to make records in various studios. Um, I mean, I would it say is pretty the, different. I'd say the similar, they're, they're like, let's start with some similarities. Of course, we're we're sitting down, we're recording something right now, like we would in a studio, but we're and not trying to go for like the perfect the take, take of this hour-long episode or whatever it is like sure we can stop recording and go back and redo something but that's 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 not the, that's not what it's about with podcasting you you want you want to keep in all that charm and all that good sauce you know for sure and and you know that sometimes that happens in recordings too like it actually is really common like um here, here speaking of similarities here's okay. where they are similar to what really works best in any recording is capturing a vibe so Obviously, podcasting is different because I think what really works about our podcast isn't if we nail like facts correctly or speak phonetically correctly, swords, swords, swords. Yeah. Um, but that we sort of maintain a loose, um, a casual vibe where you feel like you're talking to your buds. That's right, really exactly. important. Yeah. And we have had moments where we have fixed and edited our show. We all we do a lot of editing where we add jingles or we'll add clips or whatever. Yeah. So we do we do 
in post-production curate the episode. Yeah. It is pretty minimal though for a normal episode. Like the, for instance, the, uh, the party episode was, we had it kind of heavily edit cause I mean, it was just a lot of content and a lot of, uh, dead space and things like that. That's a little different, but on a normal episode like this, we do kind of let it ride. Yeah. We, there, it's very rare that we ever take anything out. The only time we take anything out is like, you know, I, I insert a little marker in the session as we're recording. That's where we're going to put the email jingle. This is where we're going to put the, you know, poetry of the papa or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, to, yeah. I mean, Ethan's right. And <clears throat> it is kind of a more like wing it situation. Whereas when you are, when you're making a record, especially in the capacity that Ethan and I do, like occasionally Ethan and I make our own records where right. we're basically producing it with Paul Moak, for example, we're co-producing where we have more control. But what, I definitely mostly do is I'm hired to play guitar for an artist and sometimes they're my friends and I love their music. Sometimes I've never met them and they're not even in the room. Um, and their music sucks. And it, that does happen sometimes where it's more of a job. Whereas, you know, the podcast is a labor of love and, um, we're talking about something that I've loved since I was a kid Yeah, and I love making music, but it's also my job. Right. So, um, but there is a sense when you're making records where, you can land on something that's vibey and then maybe you have a clam or something or, or you have to just maybe sort of rework it. And there's a lot of times where the more you do it, the further you get away from what was cool about the first kind of... Right, exactly. Kind of... Not, I'm not saying improvise. Like, I'll say this about me because I'm not like a Steve Vai type. I'm, I'm a very like um, limited emotional guitar player. So I like to really do pre-production and work. Like if a producer hires me to do a record... If they in any way can, I like for them to send me the demos. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, because I can make charts, but I don't like like I have a lot of friends in town who all they do all day is play on master sessions. Like I have friends who play on Keith Urban records, that caliber record every day. Right. Yeah. My friend Tony Lucido, he goes in, listens to the song one time in the control room, makes a chart, walks in, plays it. Usually in the first take, he's playing shit you're hearing on the radio oh, in yeah. six months. Oh yeah, and it's good. I, I I take more time. Me too. Yeah, and, and I, I like and I like to pre-think of a lot of it. Yeah. Now I, I will say I I do like similar to our friend Tony's situation. I do like going into the studio, hearing a song, maybe more than once, and kind of getting ideas on the spot. Then like and letting it be loose. Yeah. Right. So like uh, Matthew Mayfield's last record, for instance, that, we, played, that Ethan and I both and played we both on. played on it. I played I think on six or seven songs on drums. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really heard anything. And so I went in there and like, like sat in the control room with Paul and Matthew. And all of a sudden, my own ideas about drum parts are coming up. And then I get on the kit. Matthew's across from me. And, you know, we just start hacking it out, like almost like you would in a garage. Right. And everything's sounding cool. And then all of a sudden, you stop. It's like, hey, uh, don't do that right there. Let's switch it to something else. So, a few notes, a few minimal notes. Yeah. So, there's some cool spontaneity moments there. And, uh, you know, and someone like him, his songs are so good that For sure. it's it, hard to, your energy is already like at 11, just like excited to play on this stuff. And at a certain level that Ethan, and I, I mean, Ethan and I've been doing this for so long and, um, at a certain level, you're, you're being hired because of what you bring to the table in that regard. They, they just, they love you as a drummer and trust you. So right. to overthink it would almost negate why they have you there. And I remember I had the same experience. So Ethan had already cut his drum. So when I went in to do guitars for Matthew's record, I don't even think you were there. I think I was back on tour or something. And so I did the thing where, because I'm so close to Matthew and Paul, I, I'd never heard the songs. I listened to them one time in the control room, didn't even make a chart, and went in and cut the tunes. I think I did four or five. And 
we were all joking because I didn't have a guitar pick. Like I had to ask for a pick. And Paul <laughs> Paul's like on the talk back and he was like, This is the first time a guitar player has ever not showed up for a session with a pick. <laughs> and my joke back was like yeah, but when was the last time you had a guitar player show up that heard the song one time and got a master take without making a chart? <laughs> exactly. And it's just that kind Touché. of loose, that kind of loose shit. Um, I don't know if doing the podcast has changed how I approach making records. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, I'd say it's it's the opposite. You know, when I first start, started my la- my other podcast, Pirate Satellite, if anything, my experience in recording and uh, especially home recording and, and working in Logic all that enabled me to do was know exactly what I wanted out of a podcast and, and how to format it, how to lay it out in a logic I, session. I feel the same way. And, and it, all my experience singing and playing into microphones gives me like, and you too, like I have a confidence. I don't feel squeamish about the mic. Right. Another thing you really can't do when you're making a record or doing a podcast is think too much about the audience you just have to go yeah exactly you just have to fucking go and like i trust when ethan and i were talking about metallica just privately at our favorite bars in town before we ever did this this is what that podcast sounds like it's it's very true yeah And, and that's what we wanted it to be so i do feel beholden to and responsible for the amount of people who listen to us and like i care about them and i want i do want the show to be great and we Ethan sure. and i text almost every day about how to make the show better <laughs> we do but at the same time when the when the tapes roll in so to speak um i think the most important thing that we do is just be true to our humor our moments yeah our faux pas we just let it ride because i think that's our what our faux pas <laughs> speaking <laughs> of papa can we take a quick email break i'm getting a little hungry i'm hungry for a little bit of poetry i am too Welcome to the Poetry Corner. We're plum tickled to have you. It's me, Pawpaw. Today's poem is going to be from, well, it's one of my favorite bands called uh, Septic Death. And uh, this poem's called Gore Story. Creeping frightmare, a dripping dream. Flesh rotting hunger, the corpses scream. Arising butchers, the impending slaughter. Specimen blood. The skull-crushing splatter. Hideous massacre. Threatening life. Seeping crimson. Mutilated life. Stab, cut, slash. Poor, grab, gut smash. Decapitation, the squirming beast. Maggots, toast. Blood-dismembered beast. Human cannibals, like me, swallowing pain. Macabre meat, the continual maim. Grab, cut, smash. Stab, gut, slash. Poor, rip, tear, gash, gore. Gore story. Well, thank you for coming down to the Poetry Corner. We'll see you next time, see? Well, that was a little septic death. That's Puss, one of Pusshead's. That's Pusshead's like big band in the. That 80s. was his band. He was he sang for. Yeah, septic Paul, death. Pawpaw's a big um, hardcore punk fan. Yeah, so. he loves he loves that like thrashcore kind of. Well, you know, uh, you're gonna hear. You're, we're gonna play a little sample of some Pusshead's band a little later. But well, you uh, heard it at the top of the episode. That was actually a little bit of septic death. At that the top. was yeah, but I, I'm talking like the hardcore shit. Yeah.
Well, Joey, I don't know if we answered your question. I I really appreciated those questions because they were really thoughtful and yeah, and, and you know what? The, the questions like that, yeah, they might make the email segment a little bit longer. But these are these are the questions we love to get, like just a little more thought provoking, in depth kind of stuff, you know. So we appreciate it. <laughs> oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's back. Oh, my God. Yeah, brother. All right. Uh, thanks, Joey. Eric Frazier, who's a patron of the show, by the way, says, couple of curiosities, and I wonder if you guys know the answers. On the album tracks, who says bass solo take one? Um, There's actually an interview with Lars in Rolling Stone when the Kill 'Em All box set came out. And uh, I've wondered that for a long time because it doesn't sound like anyone in the band. It's actually an engineer. Yeah, I'd imagine it was the engineer or the producer. He was saying that like um, they had that in there to give some levity to like because it can be kind of pretentious to put a solo on a record. <laughs> yeah, kinda. So they had that, and and it may crush some of you out there, but that wasn't actually take one. Yeah, he said they, he said they did five or six or maybe ten. Yeah, he said unfortunately those tapes they don't know where those masters are because it'd oh, be wow. cool to hear what the other because as imagine we, somebody like some dude that worked that studio has them in his closet right now. And they just don't even know what they're fucking sitting on. Or, uh, or the tapes got like recorded over or thrown away. It's like, v- very possible. It's just they didn't... In 1983, like this, they didn't know. No, they didn't understand what was about to happen. So um, anyway, to answer that question, that was a, a nameless, soulless, faceless, feckless... You can go ahead and say it's probably the producer or the engineer that was at the board. I think it was... It, well, um, Lars said it was an engineer. It might an have engineer? been Paul okay, okay, cool. Curcio, but... His next question is... Um, Question number two, and who whispers Damage Incorporated in the song Damage Incorporated? I was always Newstead. I've always assumed it was James. It was Jason. Do we know that? <laughs> Master of Puppets, right? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was I, thinking, I was thinking the bass player. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, um, it was Rob Trujillo. I always yeah, I always imagined uh, it was James. Yeah. It kind of sounds it like sounds his whisper. Like James yeah, and it does. He does it live and yeah. Damage Incorporated. Kind of like that. Wait, was that Jason Newstead? <laughs> that was that was Rob's version. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Newstead from Flotsam and Jetsam is going to come in and just whisper this one line. <laughs> I'm going to get eaten alive for being like, no, it wasn't Jason. Oh, that's no, it was fine. I was just trying to, I was trying to enter a new segment called Stump Clint. Have you seen that show on HBO called Crashing, the I Pete Holmes show? No. He does this whole bit about being gullible. He's like, people always like shit on people who are gullible. He's like, wait a minute, like you told me something, you told me a lie. And I believed you, and I'm the asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a pretty That's good me. Bit. Uh, Eric says, "Keep up the great work from uh, from an appreciative listener and patron, Eric awesome. Frazier." Thanks, Eric. Thanks for the email, and just got to say it, man. Thanks for being a patron of the show. Yeah, we appreciate. Thanks for it. making the show go. Mm, amen. Poach. Our, poetry with Clint. Uh, our next email is from Andrew Evans. He says, "Hey, dudes, or good day, mate. Since it's being sent to you from." Mackay, Queensland, Australia. Well, let's put another shrimp on the bobby. If you haven't heard of it, it's a New Jersey. <laughs> oh, he says, uh, I recently discovered your podcast, uh, podcast after listening to Papa Het's Joe Rogan episode. I opened it and got, and I got to be honest, I didn't have much hope for a good podcast, but I was pleasantly surprised. Well, cheers, mate. We aim to please. That's we right. aim to please, That's mate. That's right. Of course. Uh, uh, let's put another shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, you dingo. <laughs> G'day, you wallaby. Is that an Australian folk song? No. Uh, my old band, when we went to Australia, we just started singing that of anything Australian. G'day, you albatross. Just naming all the wildlife? G'day, you kangaroo. Whatever, anything. <laughs> Didn't really matter. Doesn't matter if it's indigenous there? Yeah. G'day, you bison. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, were, we were just trying to think of G'day, you kookaburra. 
stuff like that. <laughs> Good God. Anyways, he said, um, I have since been all over it listening to older episodes. I love it. Top work, guys. I think it's only a matter of time until the little podcast that could host its first Metallica member as a guest. Well, God, we hope so. My story on getting into Metallica wasn't much different than the usual story. The year was 1996. I was 14. I learned to play guitar. And through meeting uh, other musos to, tr- uh, to, to try and jam, I got introduced to a guy I only know as Paul. Paul? Paul? Um, he was teaching me some jazz licks and whatnot, and he was currently in a jazz band. One day when I was hanging out with him, uh, he started to play one, not just the intro, but all the lead parts, and it blew my mind. Uh, that was the first time I had heard Metallica and asked him, what it was, he sent me home with a Justice CD, and uh, and from the moment I was all in. I soon lost contact with Paul. Paul, w- Paul? <laughs> when he moved away, but I must thank him uh, as that day he unknowingly changed the course of my life. I was uh, I was a skater boy. He was a skater boy. And there it is. <laughs> he said, "See you later, Paul." He was a skater. B- <laughs> I was trying to sing in an Australian accident. accident. He was a skater boy. I mind. He was a skater boy. Wallaby. He said, good day, boy. Good day, Wallaby. Good day, you Wallaby. Uh, I was a skater boy and listened to Grunge right up until then. I soon traded my independent truck company and Alan, uh, and, sorry, Alien Workshop shirts for Metal Tees and played in a metal band for a few years until I ended up working full-time and gave up the band. Mm. Um, ends his email here by saying, uh, I've been in uh, metal ever since I... Sorry, excuse me. Ever, uh, ever since and while I... Listen to quite a broad range of music. Metallica has always been number one in my heart. Obviously, I bought Justice first, then the Black Album, then worked my way back, then forwards as they were released. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite, though, which I hate, it would have to be Justice because um, you always remember your first, right? That's true. That's very true. Uh, anyways, you guys are doing great things, and I love listening. Say hi to Torben and Dave for me. Yours in rock and roll, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Uh, good day, mate. You know what surprises me is he says he was 14 in 96. I was 13 in 96. And Black Album was my first, but before I really went back, no, he he's right. I did go back because I had a few years before Load and Reload, but I just, <clears throat> so much of the beginning of my Metallica love was wrapped up in Load and Reload because it was 96, you know? Of course, yeah. Has, I mean, he has no mention of Load and Reload. Right. I mean, like, you know, I've talked about, you know, I, I coming online during Justice, but I mean, really it was like the first record I purchased was Puppets. But then the record that like consumed my life shortly after that was a black album. Sure. You yeah. know, so yeah, um, man, thanks for that cool. email. It's a good, uh, great story. And thanks, Andrew. And good day, you dingo. <laughs> man, I really do appreciate all of our Australian listeners. We have quite a few. Oh yeah, mate. There's uh, heaps, <laughs> mate. There's heaps down there. There's one right now here at <laughs> HQ. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's not, that's not a podcast. This is a podcast. The thing, the thing is you're pretty good at voices. Well, the Australian one, uh, here, here's the thing. I have to, my trigger to get it going is saying the word like mate. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll start by going. You work like, into it. Yeah, my, it's, that's right. I got to work right into it and then I can just uh, kind of adapt and just, you know, go, you know, come and, come and go as I please out of the accent. See, I say mate and it still sucks. And I can go right from this into this and it's great <laughs> and it's a nice, easy transition. The man of a thousand voices. Good God. All right. Uh, Mr. Lucid Zeus. Um, Lucid Zeus. Oh, you don't know Lucid Zeus? I prefer inebriated Zeus. <laughs> he's just throwing lightning bolts up people's asses. He doesn't even know. <laughs> ah, fuck it. He's just saying, I'll fuck it up in the clouds. Fuck it, I'm done. Uh, Mr. Lucid says, hello, Clint Ethan. I'm a 15-year-old Metalla nerd. Man, so many youngsters in, the, in this segment. 
I love it, man. I do too, man. This is this is a young, this is the younger generation of Metallica fans that were now we're speaking to them. This is we cool. We are so famous to the kids. Oh my gosh, we're so famous. He says I'm a 15 year old Metallica nerd that somewhat recently uh, attended my first concert on the 16th of August in Edmonton. That's the show they broadcast. Yep. He says I had to saddle up for a five hour drive for the show, but my God, was it worth it? I was praying for creeping death, but I guess it wasn't to be. Still got a treat with Blackened. I, yeah, I mean if. If you can't have, I mean, my two favorite Metallica songs are Creeping Death and Blackened. So, right. I did not get to see Creeping Death this year or last year on tour, but I did get to see Blackened in Detroit and I'm grateful. I got to see Creeping Death in Philly. Well, fuck off. <laughs> Die by my hand. Fine. <laughs> I saw Creeping Death two times, the two times I saw them in 2000 and yeah. in, whatever. All right. Anyway, I'm sure our fans are really care about that. He says, also, I didn't know that they were playing a different intro to Halo on Fire. It was so bitching. The intro to Halo on Fire, the new the slow one, it's cool. is cool. I really like cool. it, yeah. It's real creepy. He says, my question for you is, is there a Binge and Purge episode or an episode on the gear coming up soon? Well, we almost did a binge and purge episode last week. We almost did, we, but uh, I had to go to that songwriting festival and like we we want to really do it well, right? Yeah, and we did, and it's actually going to be a two parter. Yeah, it, well, it's a lot of content. I mean, that's three shows. Um, yeah, and and because Clinton had to go out of town, I had a pretty busy week. I had to play a showcase with this girl in town. So we're like, uh, let's find something else we could kind of cover for the week. And um, we got here. We got. By the way, speaking of a girl in town, which I know this chick isn't from Nashville, but man, rest in peace, Dolores. Oh my gosh! That didn't that feel like? If you guys don't know, we're talking about from the cranberries. The, the chick from the cranberries is yeah. what most people know her as, and like we, we we kind of like we're in our prime of music loving in the '90s, which is when the cranberries cranberries had these huge, huge hits in the '90s. Oh yeah, linger, zombie, linger, like, and zombie, and dreams, and yeah, big, big songs. She was so young; it did feel like I just want to take a minute to acknowledge it because yeah, it was it was a trip. I mean, I was talking about this the other day with somebody. Uh, the day that she we found out she passed away, she's only forty six. That's so young. She was working on a record of some kind in London, and um, they haven't announced what happened, like how she died, that I know of. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I was talking the other day with somebody about this, and. You know, having grown up in in the, I mean, I grew up in the eighties. Like I was born in seventy eight, but like my my really really 90s, hard. I'm the same way. Eighty three, yeah, yeah. but the nineties were my hardcore years of really absorbing and learning music and discovering music was the early nineties. First, same, same for you me. You know, I got into some stuff in the eighties and you know whatnot, but then for those of you that are old enough to know this, that early nineties era so special. It's so special, and nothing has happened like that since. Well, it not, changed, like, not identifiable whole, because because you had Black Album, you had Octune Baby, you had, you had never the whole, mind. you had the whole Seattle thing, you right. had the Pumpkins in Chicago, yeah, like and, and the then cram, you had, you had the Cranberries in, in Ireland. Ireland, like it's just the shit that you're right, like it, the whole like a grunge uh, alternative college rock kind of ev- all that stuff was like just took over every radio station, every music video station. Uh, I mean it 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 put a hardcore fucking padlock on the eighties for sure. And for sure, we, and, ha- and, we uh, haven't, uh, which it needed it. It definitely needed it. Cause um, it's, as cool as the eighties was obviously Metallica, but for me, like a lot, a lot of big eighties bands would be like the Smiths, the cure, U two. Um, but that was all like beat down by this sort of glammy hair metal. You had pop stupid, and hair metal, like stupid, du- stupid shit. 
that I don't think has lived. I mean, there's fun stuff in there, but it's it, it, but oh, it's oh, like oh, poison and warrant. And yeah, I mean, nothing but a good time compared to Master of Puppets. Exactly. Yeah, one way the other. Or but, compared to or compared to Joshua Tree, or, right? Or disintegration. So you know? so that that whole era of music for me w- was so important in 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 where I'm at today as a musician and as a writer and as maybe even a podcaster. But so when when Dolores passed away the other day, it was kind of like you know. Middle last year, Chris Cornell passed away. Oh my gosh! We lost Scott Weiland the year before that. Well, I mean, David Bowie and but but the, that that nineties era. Yeah, it's like Kirk Cobain's been gone for a long time. Lane right. Staley's been gone for a long time. It's right. like, and these are all these artists that helped shape me as a musician for sure. And it's so so strange just to see him go, especially at a young age. I mean, forty six. That's, that's too fucking young. That's way too young. And you know, Prince was in his fifties, right? Prince. I, yeah, I think so. And Bowie was in his early 60s. I mean, yeah, it's... Gun Fry died, too. Like, Yeah. It, it is... I guess we're... You know what's happening is we're getting older, and these people that we loved our whole lives, they're going to start passing away. I know. It's like, that's what's crazy, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we know it's a part of life, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really help take the sting away sometimes. You know, it's... It, it, yes, it's reality, but... It is a sting. It, it felt like we... Isabel and I, my wife, uh, we were coming home from that festival, and kind of put on a little a little smattering of cranberries just to say thank you and just yeah, to of course. sort of like live it and I'm not going to pretend that I like loved all the deep cuts or anything sure, but yeah. we listened to the songs that we loved which were basically the hits and what really struck me is and this is what was so cool about the 90s and this will never happen again unless there's some sort of weird renaissance is right these like linger these are some of the biggest songs of that moment and they're super duper strange Yes. They are not very palatable. Like, Linger starts with this really weird drum thing that sounds completely different than the song it turns into. It sort of fades. It's like 30 seconds of another song. Right, yeah. It then fades into what we all know as Linger. Yeah. Like, it's It's just, a trip, yeah. It, it, they're strange songs. I mean... And her voice. Oh, my God. I was just about to bring up her voice. It's it was just, so unique. There's nothing like it. She almost does what I would only imagine, and there are any Irish listeners out there can correct me, where maybe she was throwing. I don't want to say the word yodeling, but no, these, but is that kind of mountainy? Mountainy, maybe, maybe it stems from Irish folk music or something. I think. Um, I think what I read was she's from like a really poor part of Ireland. Yeah, and it's almost like um, not that the south of America is poor. That's where I'm, I'm from, Alabama. I'm not saying I'm rich, but I'm just saying like there are strong accents in the south. Sure, yeah, you know. And it, that's kind of the equivalent. She was kind of from a poor okay. rural part of Ireland where they're known for their super strong accents. And I guess what happens is most people who get out of that place sort of shed the accent. Okay, got Much it. like I have. Like, I don't really have a southern accent. But she sort of maintained it. But that became such a huge part of... It was, it was their sound. A huge was, part of their sound. I mean... So I mean, such a special band. Yeah, we'll get we'll get back into our episode, but yeah, I'm, right. I'm glad that Clint brought this up. You know, just because I will say, if if uh, you guys listening have not listened to the Cranberries, or maybe you only know just a couple of their hits, dive into their catalog. Dolores even had uh, two solo records too. Oh, have and there's some cool stuff on there. Yeah, I was checking. I I never checked them out until she passed away. They're cool. There's some cool cool stuff on there. Yeah, and her voice held up throughout the years so well, and and such a beautiful woman and such a beautiful voice. So. Rest in peace, Dolores. Thank you yeah, for the music. Thanks for all the music. Yeah. For sure. All right. The email uh, ends with, uh, if either of you are ever rolling through Calgary or anywhere else in southern Alberta, I am more than willing to make the drive. Much love from Alberta, Canada. Thanks. Oh, man. Canada's one of our top markets, and uh, 
we, we love hearing from all you folks. Oh, yeah. I spent a bunch of time in Canada, uh, I'd say earlier this year, it's 2018 now, um, uh, just last uh, fall into winter uh, on tour, and I love Canada so much. Everyone's real chill in Canada. Oh, they keep it chill, yeah. Uh, well, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was the emails. Cool. Let's right. talk about Pusshead. Pusshead. Let's talk about him. Not a lot known about him. As we mentioned at the top of the show, it, it took some digging to find some info on this dude. Real quick, just for those of you who, let's say we have listeners, um, like maybe some of our younger listeners, okay, who have no idea who he is. How would, you, how would you describe him just casually before we go kind of in depth with his story? I would say, you know, in relation to Metallica, he's a huge, huge reason how, uh, why their, their whole image uh, was presented to the world and because a lot of it had to do with merchandise and it was so distinctive so, it's so distinctive and it's it very recognizable out. yeah if, if you see a pusshead design you know it's his right um and that was i mean that was one of my earliest memories of becoming a metallica fan was when i went to like this local store it was like a pre-hot topic kind of place called rack and ruin <laughs> warm topic warm topic um it was this place called rack and ruin in el toro california and I used to go buy my, buy my metal shirts there. And I remember seeing like Pusshead designs and being like, oh my God, that looks like nothing else on this wall. How much was your average metal shirt at that time? Probably like 10 bucks, 12 bucks. Really? Yeah. Not terrible. 12 bucks. I mean, but when you're 13 years old, that's, that's, that's no joke. That's like a million dollars. The way I grew up was we would occasionally, and I mean occasionally, like once every two or three months, go to the mall and my mom would give me a $20 bill. Yeah. And what that meant was for me was one CD. One CD and a little bit left over for, because yeah. CDs were like seventeen ninety nine. Remember that? Uh, what I love though was Tower Records never went above, or at least for a long time, never went above, I think, eleven ninety nine For a CD? Yes. For a CD? A CD. <laughs> did you ever watch the Tower Records documentary? No. Oh, dude, it's great. Colin no. Hanks did it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Tom awesome. Hanks' son. Yep, it's awesome. I like Colin Hanks. Yeah. That's a good guy. <laughs> He's a great man. I don't know him, but... So, so Pusshead is this famous artist. Uh, he mostly is known for these, these sort of like weathered skulls. That's kind of his yeah, deal. Yeah, very weathered, yes. Yeah, skeletons, um, things like that. His real name, though, is uh, Brian Schroeder. Am I saying that right? Torben. Brian Schroeder. Tor- Tor- Torben will know. Uh, I think it's pronounced Brian Sh- uh, Schroeder. And he lives in San Francisco now, and he, as I'm sure you can imagine what a guy like him is like, a guy who's known for doing artwork of skulls. He's a big collector of like cow skulls and monkey skulls, alligator skulls, human skulls. And he actually surrounds his home and all these skulls and he uses them as reference when he does his work. That's cool. I'll bet uh, kids love, and go, love, love going to his house on Halloween. Well, it's basically him and, and Jeffrey Dahmer like, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like skull collection. He probably lives in a little shack on Hetfield's property. <laughs> in Vail? No, no. In, in property owns in California. Oh. And then James was moving. He's like, oh, hey, Pusshead, uh, I'm going to move it to Vail. Can you just kind of watch the property? You can keep right. your skulls and shit. You can like, put but your skull. You, yeah. you just camp out there. It's fine. You can dissolve all the people you kill and vats of acid that you keep in there, but just don't, don't tell me about it. The yeah. less I know, the better. Yeah, exactly. For when the subpoena happens. Um, he lived in Southern California until he was four, uh, and I think they moved to Idaho, which I've traveled to all these places many times. That's a pretty big culture shock. But maybe not uh, for a four-year-old. Where you're, I don't know. Yeah, four-year-old, you wouldn't know any different. It's true, man. There are some super rural parts of California. Oh, yeah. I've always said this, being being from the South and 
coming from a very particular redneck stock. Oh, we have our rednecks in California. The rednecks in California and the rednecks in like Detroit are no joke. They're way scarier than yep. anything you'll oh, yeah. find in Alabama. We uh, in California, it was it's we used to call them desert rats. The people right. that live way out in the desert where like you, you drive down a random road and there's literally signs that like turn around or I will yeah. kill you. Warning desert rat. <laughs> yeah. We're that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got him out there, man. We got rednecks. Well, he, so he began drawing by copying out of comic books. I think a lot of kids, a lot of artists probably started out that way. I'm sure they do. Yeah. It's a huge part of when you make art, there's this whole phase, whether it's when you're younger, even when you're older, it depends on when you're really getting started where before you find your own voice, what you spend a lot of time doing, I know I did this with songwriting. Yeah. You basically latched, like for me, I latched on to Ryan Adams and I basically wrote a hundred Ryan Adams songs. Sure. Before I finally got them all out and discovered my own flavor that I, you lean into. Right. I think a lot of artists do that. Well, it's very you, similar to even just learning how to play guitar for instance. Where you're playing you Metallica songs forever. Right, yeah. You, you don't you don't learn a couple chords and immediately write your own song. You, you're like, okay, I know these chords now, I can, maybe I can learn this song. You know, and that that's those are that, that that's some of the tools over over the years that help you grow into the musician that you end up it's becoming. It's just really rare if you start out very young knowing what your voice is, and part yeah. of, part of learning is just trying on a lot of different things. He does talk about how pretty early on, though, his art teacher in school didn't like him because I guess it's your your standard like art teacher in school is like draw a flower, draw a bowl of fruit, draw. And he said from really early on, he was drawing like strange creatures. Yeah. And his art teacher hated him because, wow. didn't hate him, but he didn't make good grades because he was unwilling to kind of toe the line. Yeah. Which is pretty, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's awesome. Um, he ended up in high school contributing to like the high school paper, got interested in skateboarding. They moved to Idaho in 1968. So how old does that make him? If he, so that means he was born in 1964. 1964. Who, who can do the math? <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, so that would make him uh, 54. If he, if his birthday was in this first two weeks of January. Um, I'm just, I'm not even going to look it up. I'm going to just choose to believe that that's true. Cause I don't know. I'd say he's, if he's 53, I don't know his birthday. He's either 53 or 79. Yeah. Those are the only two options. <laughs> That's it. Uh, he's a big music fan. Uh, we're going to get into like he started the band later, but big his early influences musically were Beatles, Iron Butterfly, Cream, CCR, and Hendrix. He dropped out of high school in the mid seventies and worked at a local record store. I didn't drop out of high school, but I worked at two local record stores yeah. in my life. Um, I'm proud to say that because I'm not sure they're going to exist anymore after a few years. I'm glad I got Maybe. to experience that. Oh yeah, I worked at a Tower Records for a little bit. It was cool. I loved it. Not a single record over eleven ninety nine. That's right. That's man. what I hear. <laughs> um, any interesting stories from working at a record store? I never had anything that strange happen, or nothing that it, it sticks in my memory to this day. We had some real serious like um, Empire Records moments where, like, if people were stealing from the store, we had full carte blanche to do whatever we wanted. Really. Oh yeah, we, we could tackle them. We could awesome. humiliate them. Awesome. Like we could pull like we and like we had these like headsets where we could communicate with each other. Yeah, and I used to live for that. Like if some punk ass motherfucker was like trying to steal a goddamn Mariah, especially Carey on record. Rex Manning Day. Re on Rex Manning Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie. Great movie. We got a lot of pretty good feedback on. Uh, oh, what about Bob? And, on uh, our what about Bob and coming to America? Oh, awesome. Last night in bed. I was like hopped up on uh, painkillers because of my tooth. And I said to my wife, I said, here are your, here are your options. 
What about Bob coming to America or so I married an axe murderer? Ooh. She opted for D, none of the above. Really? She goes to bed pretty early. Oh, okay. And I was kind of like drinking vodka on the painkiller. That was kind of out of my mind. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to watch all three of them at once. <laughs> Honey, wake up. Wake up. It's fucking amazing. Hey, wake up. I just bought two more TVs so I can watch all these at one time. Bob Wiley is in McDowell's. <laughs> it's incredible. Mike Myers is flipping burgers. Oh my God, dude. You just put all that together really quick. Um, Thanks. He also liked punk music. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. He said he never really dug the new wave of British heavy metal. Didn't do anything for him, which I can see if you're like a straight up like, because he was into like the damned and shit. Well, Black Flag. It, it, well I, I think in, in uh, some of our notes here, he was into pre Dickinson Iron Maiden. That's but hardcore. That, but, but that's also, that's a little more punkish. Right. You exactly. listen to the song like Running Free. Exactly. And Paul, the original singer. Paul? Paul? Original singer of Iron Maiden, like Paul Moak, the original singer of Iron Maiden. <laughs> exactly, yes. it's Paul Moak. Um, he kind of dressed like a punk. How many records then. did that dude do with Iron Maiden? Uh, he did two, I believe. Okay, yeah, I think two. The first two, obviously. <laughs> we'll I, I think he up. did the Let's record just, just called Iron Maiden and then Killers. Okay, cool. Yeah. So then Brian Schroeder, Pusshead, our beloved Pusshead, started writing for Skateboarder Magazine. He got really into skateboarding, which is its own sort of really intense... Well, you know. Yeah, I, it's, I it's, still it, skate to It's a day. really intense subculture that's really akin to being a metalhead or... It, it has its own... It, it was very, uh, in, at least in Southern California, it was, it was very popular amongst the skating community to be into metal, punk ska music like all kind of like rebellious music in its own right like Here, here's here's some insight you can give that i truly don't know what it's because i i never really was into punk music right um and i i sadly kind of feel like the window might have closed like i'm 34 and sure. married with a kid like i just i don't know if it's going to happen to me <laughs> okay <laughs> i listen to a lot of lana del rey but um what i always assumed was that punk and metal I can see from the outside how similar they are, but I always assumed that metalheads and punks did not get along. Um, and it, I kind of, I kind of credit historically from what I can see, Metallica is bridging the gap a bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, or maybe the Misfits and I would say like. Uh, what do you think about that? My own experience is obviously based in Southern California because and in the eighties, and so we're yes, because we're kind of talking the genesis of this was like early 70s mid 70s so it's hard to like parse it all out now amongst my group of friends like some of us skated some of us liked metal some like punk some guys like hardcore music whatever but like i always found that skateboarding kind of brought all that together Mm, interesting at least in my experience like i would skate with dudes that are into metal i would skate with guys that are into punk stuff like that so it didn't feel like two different camps to you not to me not really no um and I think the reason that skaters especially latched on to punk and metal music is because a lot of times when you're skating by yourself, you throw on headphones and you want music to skate to. Mm. It gets you energized, gets you pumped up, gets you like ready to go fucking try something hard. But after you leave the skate park and you're all hanging out having a beer, what's the unifying? Because I think when you're young and you're, it's like this sort of, it's kind of primitive tribalism. Right. And for me, when I was young, you would rally around some of your friendships and your cliques rallied around either a band, which for me for a long time, it was Metallica with my buds. Right. Or a certain style of music. Yeah. I mean, I can say that Metallica was the band that kind of introduced me to punk rock music because of the Garage Days EP. Right. And a lot of my friends too. So like, but I think before, I think they were kind of a unifying factor. Like I wonder before, 
it's interesting to read that all that because I I just always assumed it was more mutually exclusive. But yeah. maybe it was. Maybe that's there, if I if I remember correctly, there there's uh, it's in the the Iron Maiden documentary, the um, the early years part one. It's called. Um, I think I have to rewatch it again. But at one point, I think Steve Harris is talking about how they were this band in, in England where like the punks and like the metalheads would all come to the show because they were kind of in between all that stylistically in the early right. days. And that was my experience too, is it like punk and metal just became kind of similar. Like one was a little more simple and one was a little more technical, right. but they were both aggressive. They were both rebellious. They were both what- Both your, angry. Both angry, what your parents want me to listen to. Right. So there was that common bond amongst punk and metal fans. Right. Um, and then you mix skateboarding in the, middle, in the middle of that too. It's like you got this great little recipe of awesome music and a fun activity. Well, and as we all know now, like James is a big skater, broke his arm skating. Right. And- it's kind of when you're on tour too, like it's like something to do. Yeah, I bring a skateboard on every tour. We have a mutual friend named John Davis who was and is in a great band called Super Drag. And uh, when I was touring with John, um, I, I was younger and a little more doughy eyed, but he always, we would always drop him off at a skate park. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, his, you know, he's a sober guy, but it was like his drug almost. Oh, yeah. When I toured with John every every morning before we drive to the next city, a uh, drummer wanted to sleep in. Me and John would get up early and go grab coffee. Because you're in a side project with him called The Lisa Memory. Yeah, kind of. It's not very active. I mean, they're active in making records, but not performing. But yeah, we should pimp him out though, because John Davis. Um, I'm actually going. Th- I'm having like a renaissance of a Beatles freak out. I had my first real Beatles freak out in my early 20s, which it's is kind of again. around when I met John. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I went really crazy. Got Beatles tattoos, and like it was all I cared about. I sure. just went really head on, which is easy to do when you're young. But my daughter is loving the Beatles now, so oh, I'm kind so cool. of redoing it. But I remember when I was touring with John, he'd kind of put the Beatles away for a little bit for whatever reason, but he had spent so much time with it that we were both just like, every day we'd be like, how many Beatles songs do you know in a row? Like we were just naming deep cuts and shit and just play out Beatles in each other. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, That's that, what it was like touring with him. That's one of my fondest memories. Uh, John's one of the best, best people I know has become one of my best buddies. And I mean, I just saw him the other day. Um, him and I have a ton in common and learned that very early on and getting to know each other. And I was a fan of Super Jack before I met him. Long story short, moved to Me Nashville. Yeah. He uh, played on my old band's record and we just became friends. We both realized we like a lot of the same music. I never expected him to be a guy like punk rock music and he's like an encyclopedia of punk rock. Dude, like when we were touring and all we talked about was the Beatles, he brought a CD book. This is back when, there were, this is pre-iPod. Yeah. And uh, his CD book was literally filled with Motorhead and Husker Du. And, oh, yeah. being, and this is like before I was interested in like... Um, he loves Husker Du. In Husker Du. What's the guy's name from Bob Husker Mold. Du? Bob Mould. Yeah. Um, he also was in a great band called Sugar. So I would be like, well, you're this big Beatles cat, this big melodic cat. Like you, you have literally like 45 Motorhead CDs. <laughs> um, but you guys, especially that first, the Regretfully Yours, the first Super Drag record. I, I'd say the first two, Regretfully Yours and Head Trip in Every Key. Head Trip in Every Head Key. Trip, oh every, my God. Head Trip in Every Key is a flawless album. But in the Valley of Dying Stars, it's, it's a great so record fucking too. killer too. Yeah. Anyway. Last Call for Vitriol is great. I mean. The, Last Call for Vitriol is so good. John, John and Super Drag and, and John on his own is a solo artist and he had a punk band called Epic Ditch for a while. And his brand new band called the Le- not brand new, but his newest project is called the Leaves of Memory. Go check out all his shit. And Arigato. It's great. Yep. All right. Anyway, was this a John Davis podcast? Now? Yeah, it is. Where were we on this? Hey, uh, real quick. Speaking of John Davis, we should have a maybe a, even just a short segment with him on the show because he saw, I believe, the Injustice for All tour in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay, cool. It'd be fun to do a little uh, revisited, maybe have a guest I, on. I mean, I haven't seen John in maybe ten years, 
So it'd be good to see him. Yeah, but let's do it. Uh, okay. Um, that's how good of friends we are. <laughs> um, okay, so he didn't really dig the weave of a British heavy metal. He liked the damned. He liked the black flag. He liked the germs and discharge. He was like a punker. Okay. Yeah. He started writing for Skateboarder Magazine, which later became Action Now. I don't know what either of those are because I've never skated in my life. I would break every bone in my body if I started tomorrow. I don't remember that magazine. There was Skateboarding Magazine and then Thrasher, which obviously Puss had worked for too. He started designing posters and handbills for local Idaho bands. Uh, which was around the time that he was actually called Pusshead because I guess the the name came from he felt like he was like a pimple on the face of the world because all the kids he was like hanging with their parents thought he was a weirdo a weirdo okay which so, he probably was <laughs> right and maybe he had acne I don't know he was literally calling himself what he had on his face <laughs> uh, my name is that on which my for cheek me, I would call myself eyebrow ring my name, be nose ring my, I mean nose ring. <laughs> Well, you have a nose ring. I do. It's, wait, it's still there? Shit. <laughs> I literally don't know how to take my eyebrow ring out. Like, I feel like I'm too old for it, <laughs> but I don't know what to do. It's been there for so long. I know. My, my nose has been pierced probably since I was 19. Yeah. I just, I, I literally don't know, notice it's there. Me Even either. if I have to pick my nose, I don't know that I it's there. I overheard someone describe me as the guy with the eyebrow ring. Yeah. And I literally was like, wait, that's not me. And I was like, oh, that is me. Oh, shit, I have one. Oh, my God. Listen to this story. This is another tangent, but this is actually really crazy. <laughs> Yet another tangent. This we, is re- we need to make ta- uh, ta- a tangent jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes a, a tangent. Here comes a tangent. This is weird. So I'm playing at the 30A Songwriter Festival, okay? Me and Elise, my songwriting friend, are doing a round with Charlie Mars. Do you know who Charlie Mars is? I don't. Okay. Good friend of mine. Um, he's a singer-songwriter from Oxford, Mississippi. A, a, a real trip. A real interesting cat. Cool. Now, in 2009, I was touring with Griffin House, playing guitar for Griffin House. Charlie was opening, and we played this club called the Uptown Grill, where shit got real crazy afterwards. Real crazy. Uptown Grill. They basically just let us drink the whole bar. They just let us do whatever we wanted, all right? I'm playing, fast forward to 2017, I'm at this place in Florida for a songwriters festival, doing a round with Charlie Mars. So it's me and Elise and Charlie. So we do our sound check. It's real hectic. We're like getting ready. In the rounds are really complicated because we do a song, he does a song. Crowd's talking the whole time. They're stacked, stacking shows. It's just very hectic. Yeah. I get me and Elise sound checked. I go to the bar to get a drink right before we start. And a guy goes, hey, uh, I remember you from Uptown Grill. This is from 2009. Wow. Almost 10 years ago. Yeah. And I go, oh my God, Uptown Grill. And he goes, yeah, were you with Griffin House? I said, yeah, that was some cra- that was a crazy show. And he's like, man, it's so crazy to see you. I own the Uptown Grill. I don't know if you remember. My name is whatever. Oh, wow. I crazy. own the club. And I was like, I just remember like we drank whatever we wanted. We got up on stage after the show and I was playing all these like U2 songs. He's like, yes, yes. We talked for like five minutes, okay? Yeah. And he goes, oh my God, do you remember that guy Clint Wells? Wait, to you? Yeah. He thought you were somebody else. He goes, do you remember that guy Clint Wells? And he starts taking out his phone as if to show me like a picture or something. And I go, dude, I am Clint Wells. And he goes, what? He goes, I thought you were Charlie Mars. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I just don't have the tools. Like, it was such a surreal, I was like, dude, I'm not Charlie Mars. I'm Clint Wells. So did, I mean, did he go, did he elaborate and say why he was well, asking you, you if you better believe Clint I was Wells? like, what were you about to say, right, motherfucker? Exactly. You asked him? And he was like, oh yeah. I was like, dude, this is insane. I'm not, tra-. he was like, I thought, he said he thought I was Charlie Mars. Okay. I don't look like Charlie Mars. 
It's just been 10 years. Yeah, sure. But I'm like, what were you about to say about Clint Wells? Who's me, by the way? <laughs> he was like, well, I was going to say I have this picture of you like laying down in the street because you were so drunk. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Okay, yeah, I'm Clint the Wells. The band was like loading all the gear around me, just laying face first down <laughs> in the gutter. And my name's Clint Wells. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Or it was at our party the other day. It might have been that too. But how weird is that? That's very random. He, he remembered that you were there that night but thought you were somebody else. It's just weird to talk to him for five minutes and then be like, you remember this guy, Clint Wells? Maybe that was a highlight of his night. Like, dude, that guy was passed out, like face down on the sidewalk and road cases going around him. I talked about it on stage because it was so weird. All right. Um, one of the first posters he ever did was for this band called Exploited. Yeah, the Exploited. They're this, cool. This, old punk, you know them? Old punk band. Yeah, sure. Well, so this is interesting. So he did their first poster. The gig got canceled, but they liked the poster so much that they used it for their artwork and never paid him. Oh, for the record cover. Yeah. And he said they still use it to this day. And they actually put a sort of a disgraceful thank you where they said thank you to shithead for nothing. Oh. They never paid him. Wow. For nothing? Uh, I wonder if it's their, um, I'm going to look it up here while we're talking. Uh, their main like logo is like this skeleton with like this skeleton So you mohawk. know this band. Yeah, they exploited. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're pretty, I'd say a fairly popular. Was it like, like a Midwest un- punk band? Underground punk band. Uh, I got to look up this design real quick while we're chatting about old pussy head. Well, the cool thing is, uh, even though they didn't pay him, that kind of got him on the map a little oh, bit. Oh, exploited Scottish. That's right. Okay. Good day, mate. In Scot- <laughs> Let's put another... Sc- I can't really do a Scot. It's, uh, do it. You can, can do uh, it. Try it. Uh, the exploited are fucking great. There you go. Is that all right? I toured in Scotland with Mindy Smith, and after the show, I was talking to... Scottish people. It's tough sometimes. And literally, they were talking to me, and I was just nodding. And one of the guy goes, I'm not going to try the accent, but he literally, I could understand this. He goes, you don't understand what we're saying, do you? And I was like, I truly don't. <laughs> I toured with a guy uh, who, who was Scottish, uh, one of our guitar techs when I was with Kings of Leon. It's hard. And he was like, this old guy talking like this, and uh, hey, mate. Heed, a, pants, a fucking, no. Uh, pub down the street and get a pint. I'm like, it, that was him being audible. Like, if he started drinking, like, oh, those are just some other. I wish there were subtitles below him. Put on the bass of the rollers. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be crying himself to sleep tonight on his huge pillow. I'm curious to know what year this uh, exploited thing was. 2000 and, uh, 2009. <laughs> it was last week. Are you still looking it up? Should I keep moving on? Yeah, keep moving on. I'm just going to look this up and interject it. So, the exploited cover kind of got him on the map. He began doing posters and shit uh, and flyers. Eventually, he did his own record sleeves. For bands all over the country, it was mostly like small bands and independent labels, but he formed his own band in 1981 called Septic Death, which you guys heard at the top of the show. In fact, let's listen to a Septic Death song right now. I agree. All right, so in 1984, um, uh, he'd moved to... Oh, wait, this is when he's in L.A. So he'd gone back to L.A. from Idaho. And uh, he was working at Rough Trade's warehouse, which Rough Trade is like a um, like the Rough Trade in Brooklyn. It's like a record store yeah. curation place for music. 
Um, he was loading records. In 85, he met James Hetfield at a Venom concert, which is so maybe, classic James Hetfield. Well, maybe uh, Puss at this point was starting to get into that British heavy metal stuff. Well, I think he'd already done some Misfit stuff. In fact, right. the, the way he got introduced to James, and James was aware of some shit he'd done for the Misfits. Oh, that's cool. And he asked uh, Brian, Pusshead, James asked Brian if he could get the design that he'd done for one of their records on a t-shirt. This is kind of underground t-shirt shit. Like, Very hey, can cool, you make yeah. a t-shirt? Can I get a t-shirt? Yeah, yeah. So Brian's like, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get you a t-shirt. Because um, they were huge Misfits fans. And in fact, the shirt that he made for James is the misfit shirt James is wearing in the sleeve of Master of Puppets. Yeah, which is very cool. And he describes that as, he says, that's when the whole misfits cult took off. Yeah. Because of James wearing the shirt. I mean, that, that iconic, the, the, the crimson skull that is the misfits thing. I mean, that's, that's their iconic logo, their brand, you know? Right. And to have someone like James Hetfield on an album like Master of Puppets, which did so well, showcase that. People like people that maybe didn't know the Misfits were like, "What the hell is that shirt? That's amazing!" Right. It's well, pretty- and even in those like all those interviews they recently released of like early Puppets era of them like being interviewed, they're wearing like Sam Hain t shirts and oh, Misfit yeah. shirts. Yeah. And like Kirk, they get asked like Kirk gets asked like, "What's that shirt you're wearing?" He's like, "Oh, this is a shirt that my friend Glenn Danzig made for me." Yeah. <laughs> my buddy Glenn. But no one really knew who the, you know what I mean? It was so underground. I mean, the, the Misfits were never really a huge band. I mean, they, the Misfits didn't really like become like this cult classic, like punk band, horror punk band. I would think until maybe way later after Glenn Danzig had already started Sam Hain and then maybe even Danzig. Because then Danzig got really big and then people right. probably started doing their homework. Well, like, Mother oh. was the big breakout 90s right. single. Yeah, that, uh, Her Black Wings, uh, yeah. those first two Danzig records. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of great shit on there. Come Sail Away. Come Sail Away, exactly. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, that one Ario Speedwagon song. <laughs> God damn it, what's the one song? There's one, there's one, fuck, it's a ballad. It's... Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. I was kidding. I know that that's uh, Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> but so James, bon so James actually asked Pusshead to create some artwork for the sleeve of Master Puppets, but they were just about to go to Copenhagen to Sweet Silence to make the record. Right. And James gave Pusshead the phone number for like their management, but he I guess they got a digit wrong, so it was a wrong number. <laughs> so it was just. I got it. What is it? RSP fucking song. What is it? Ready? Yeah. Exit light Darkness Imprisoning me All that I see The memory remains Though I dub thee Unforgivable All I felt I can't fight this feeling feeling. Fuck Yeah Yeah uh, Oh keep on loving you That's another one I'm gonna keep on loving you Yeah Okay. So he asked Pusshead to do uh, artwork for the album. He couldn't call them. This is like so pre-globalization. <laughs> yes. He's like, well, it was the wrong number. I can't get a hold of them. Next time he saw them, they had all relocated to San Francisco. Puppets had already come out. So this moment gone. Right. But James is like, hey, I still want you to do something. So he asked him to design something. So the first thing he really did for them is he designed the uh, Damage Inc. logo. Which is so Which is the, awful. The, the two... It's um, amazing. Awful. I'm kidding. It's iconic. I know it is. It's like the two um, the two bats with nails through them, through the skull. Through the skull. Yeah, I've got that shirt. It's one of my favorite Pusset designs. I've got that. I'm wearing it right now, bro. I'm not, actually. What was interesting is the artwork that James envisioned for uh, the puppets thing that never happened was he wanted them to be... He wanted him to draw um, 
the four members of Metallica as zombies with like these elongated necks, which I think would have been fucking cool. It would have been real cool. Um, so he ended up doing the Damage Ink shirt. Uh, he said James originally wanted like a beast-like skull, and he tried it, but it didn't really work out. Like they didn't really like it, so he went with the the human skull. And then he also um, James asked specifically for the fangs on the skull and also the mallet that all their faces were in. Oh, cool! Which that's pretty iconic. That I mean that that w- appeared in the Injustice for All artwork. Exactly on the inside, right? And, and within the lyrics, yeah. Within the lyrics, man. It's really like when you're sitting there reading Blackened. It's like right there. <laughs> now it's been asked before, like how um, I think Meg actually asked this. She was like, you know, how hands on were the band and what he was designing? Was it the deal where they just like really loved his work and trusted him, or was there a lot of input? And it turns out they were pretty involved. So apparently, yeah. Pusshead actually did a design for the thing that should not be. That was rejected by the band. It oh, was man. apparently too gory, too Lovecraftian. Yeah, I would love to see that. He said it was just a bunch of like Cthulhu, like gore and b- blood and bone. And, yeah. Which, when you see the the um, uh, the uh, uh, crash um, crash course in brain surgery, right? It's yeah. it's like a surgeon like eating brains. It's it's pretty a gory. skull surgeon eating a surgeon's brain. <laughs> They, but speaking of skateboarding, they they made a, a like a deck, a, with, a deck that. with that. Yeah, yeah, you can still buy it on Metallica's website. Which, if you've been paying attention, what we usually refer to as a deck is the ding, ding, ding. stage. Stage. Sorry, a skateboarding deck. A skateboarding deck. Uh, so the thing that shouldn't be, the thing that didn't happen. Uh, he said what he would do is when he was asked to curate a shirt or a poster, he would look at the lyrics, and then whatever conjured in his mind based on the lyrics, he would basically bring to James. Yeah. And James would either say yes or no. And he said mostly they were on board. Yeah. I think they did trust him. I think they wanted their input. Like, But, like, but they're going to get final say. Of course. I mean, at this point, they've done Master of Puppets. Like, we know that this band is so beyond hands-on with, with everything Metallica, especially Lars. But there was an element of trust there. You know, they trust Greg Fiddleman, but they're still involved, you know? It's kind of got to be the way. Like, if you really, like, surround yourself with really talented people that you trust, you almost have to just let them do their thing. That's why you hired them. Right. That's what I was saying earlier about doing sessions. Like... My my deal as a guitar player is that I'm I'm a very much like an ambient texture guy, and when I get hired to do that flavor, there's not a lot of uh, micromanaging right, because yeah. at a certain level, that's why you're hired, and they just want you to do what you do, you know. Yeah, for sure. In terms of how he works, he's gone on to say that like usually one of his designs, like the one guy or the um, the shortest straw guy, where he's drawing straws. Yeah, he said that would usually take him like one day to do. Okay, cool. Because he said once he's in it, he likes to just finish it and do it. And I, I very much resonate with that. I'm like, I'm like that with recording and stuff. Before we had a kid, my wife and I had to kind of set up a rule because she would work a normal nine to five. As a musician, I'm kind of working whenever the muse strikes or whatever. And like, I don't quit at five. So oh, if, no. So if I wrote a song that day and I'm, I'm making a work taker, tape or a demo, when five o'clock rolls around, if I'm not done, I'm working. Oh, yeah, But we sure. had to sort of build in structure for our lives because... Otherwise, I would just work forever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like she, it totally made sense. She was like, "Hey, I need you to like clock out at some time and like come watch a movie. <laughs> remember, come watch, remember come you're <laughs> married to me. Remember that. Remember the one that like remember those w- vows. I'm the one that like has agreed to be naked with you sometimes. So you should probably honor that <laughs> and quit making music. <laughs> and she's right. The payoff is pretty good. We're both naked right now, by the way. <laughs> For Ethan to lay on me naked, it's I understand yeah. there's a give and take there. Yeah, we're actually laying on top of each other right now with microphones. It's- Mick Wall in this interview, um, this is an interview from 1990 that I've mostly gleaned a lot of this information from, but he asked him, he said, surely some of your work is like inspired by maybe some dabbling in drugs, maybe some hallucinogenics. 
And I was surprised to read that Pusset is completely straight. Never did any drugs. Crazy. Never even drank coffee. So he's like very straight edge. Which is kind of punk, right? To be straight edge. Yeah. I mean, Ian McKay and the whole Minor Threat, that band, I mean, they kind of started the whole straight edge movement, which eventually got... I think a little ridiculous, but it's cool if you're straight edge. It's it's awesome. You don't do anything like that. But yeah, I, I would be with Mick Wall. Like, yeah, look at this shit you're drawing. Like, what what sort of? I want some of that LSD. What's interesting about that? Um, an artist that I love a lot is a guy named Joel Peter Wicken. He's a photographer, and he, his heyday was in the '70s. You guys basically, you guys, bookmark this and go look up Joel Peter Wicken. My house is filled with his books, but he took the he sort of made a career out of taking pictures of deformed people and like transgender people and his artwork is very um his artwork is what inspired the nine inch nails video closer yeah okay so you can get a video you get a little taste for how strange it is and you know he described it as like he didn't think it's strange like he thinks it's beautiful and normal yeah you know so like i can see how you'd be like dude you got to be on drugs dude and he's like no this is kind of just what my reality looks like without drugs yeah i think this is beautiful and i kind of resonate with yeah, that for sure you know well it, it's uh, you can relate it to like just uh styles of music you know when i got into heavy metal music you know my mom thought it was just this disgusting awful thing yeah, and to same. me it was beautiful same you know so yeah i totally i can totally understand that but that guy t- you know photographing these people that have deformities or whatever but looking at it as a beauty and not something grotesque, you know? Totally. That's exactly what it is. And and not being um, inspired or induced by drug use. Yeah. It's, it's sort of that sober life for these for these man, people. That is, that, yeah, man, that's my drug. My drug is, is photographing My drug people. is fucked up art. My yeah, drug man. is a skull with a mallet coming out of it. Yeah, totally, man. So let's kind of talk about, like, we've been on, obviously the relevant information is what he did for Metallica, but he's also worked with a lot of other bands, Aerosmith, Motley Crue. Obviously, we've mentioned the Misfits. He also did Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, yeah, he did. Guess, guess, a, guess what the Dr. Dre image is? A pot leaf. It's a skull eating a pot leaf. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did stuff for Travis Barker, who's, as we know, is a drummer Blink-182, but has done like some solo stuff. One of my favorite bands of all time, may, many people listening to this podcast may not know it, but Rocket from the Crypt, he did some stuff for them, which is super bitchin'. Um, that's a great band to look into. One of the most unique kind of punk kind of it's like a punk band with a horn section it's i'm in hq1 right now looking at ethan's studio which is just filled with amazing gear amplifiers guitars there's a cool little pump organ that i helped you bring in here you did and there's like super drag posters demon hunter posters shit that ethan's done but i'm also looking at i see a bob marley poster the clash poster which the clash is your favorite band yes and then when i get to the clash your favorite band you've got a rocket from the crypt poster yeah and look how badass it is a fucking cobra and you've got a rocket from the crypt tattoo, right? I do, yeah. Just that, one, just one, yeah. That's that 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 <laughs> just that's one. An, that's from an album called Group Sounds, and the cover is just a fucking cobra, dude. It's so badass. They're such a cool band. So check them out. Plus, I did work for them. Um, uh, going back to the skating thing, real quick. Mm-hmm. I, I, I because I've skated most of my life. I love that he it was actually an actual artist for Thrasher magazine during the eighties and nineties. Right. He did. Uh, did sur- you ever read that magazine? Oh yeah, totally. I had so- a. Su- Subscription. So the magazine's point. a big deal for skaters. Oh yeah, it's still, was it's it still around? Was it kind of like SoCal only, or was it international? Oh no, it was, it, it was definitely national, and, it, and then became international. I mean, it was okay. it, it, at one point, in, in my opinion, was like the magazine to, to look at and read when you're a skater. Okay, cool. You know, it was you know every episode or episode <laughs> uh, every issue, you know, is 
some skater on the front, whether they're like a legacy skater at this point, or it's like some new up and coming skater that's just like dominating like competitions and stuff like that. Um, and there was also music uh, articles in these things. Like, you know, it would they would talk to skaters about what bands they're listening to while they skated and stuff like that. Was it mostly punk music? A lot of punk music, metal music, you know, and that... Uh, like, it, there probably wasn't a lot of Peter, Paul, and Mary featured. That was, Puff the that Magic was in the, Dragon. <laughs> that was in the 60s skating skated scene. Skated and did an ollie. Skated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Puff skating, hopping an ollie. Um, uh, where was I? <laughs> Thrasher so, Magazine, but, skateboarding... Um, the cool, one of the cool things was he, you know, he designed a lot of their decks, Yeah, not stages, actual right. skateboard decks. Right. Um, and then famously did, did the crash course and brain surgery skateboard deck and also the, uh, the pirate skull from the Meta- pirate thing is huge. It's huge. That's what, that's probably the most popular Metallica skateboard deck on sale. The pir- Cause he did a bunch of different variations of it, but it was that it had the pirate like, um, swords through the it was, skull. They were, like bone, they were like bones that went into a cross through his and like an eye and patch stuff. and yeah, shit. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, both those decks you can get on Metallica's web store too. One's on sale right now, I think too. For a million dollars. It's a million dollars. For the low, low price of a million dollars. But yeah, I mean, for me as a skater, like I, I had to actually look up some of the stuff he did for Thrasher outside of skateboard decks. Like he, he drew some of the actual covers for magazines and looking at him, I was like, I remember that now, you know, it was like, it brought back some memories of, of whether it was a Thrasher magazine that I had or like my, my cousins were way into skating growing up and they're older than me seeing that stuff at their house, like, you know, looking back and like, Oh, I, I do remember that puss head design. Like one of the cool things he was able to do. And he mentioned this, he mentions this in the, uh, Mick Wall interview is unlike someone like, um, I can't think of the guy's name, but the guy who basically did all the iron maiden covers is he talks about how that guy basically got like pigeonholed into the only work he really ever did was like the Eddie shit, like the right. iron maiden shit. And he was talking about how he was just able to, do the really sort of iconic, indelible Metallica art that we all know and love is super identifiable and in a lot of ways attach an image to them that helped them become the super group that they are. Right. But he was also able to do all this other shit that that you could still see it and be like, oh, that's Pusshead. But you would also be able to differentiate his work from Metallica. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whether it was Skate Decks or whether it was Misfits Records or even like the Motley Crue shit. Like, yeah. On the Dr. Feelgood tour, they said that like the thing he designed, the skull, and it was still skulls, but it was the second highest selling piece of merch on the Dr. Feelgood tour. That's crazy. You know, he was able to just have a bigger voice than just like, he wasn't just the Metallica guy. Yeah. And that I think this is a lot about him um, professionally and artistically. I think so too. It, it, he wasn't easily pigeonholed, you know, even he though it's super identifiable. Right. I mean, I think I mean, the Metallica thing probably didn't hurt. You know, I mean, that, that probably helped him catapult into other well, areas. Well, it's easily his most it's famous. It's his most famous It's his thing. famous, famous I would say that sure. and Thrasher and the Misfits, like the three big things. Right. Metallica being the big one, because he did so many designs for Metallica, not only in the Master of Puppets era, but up until like present day. You oh, have a Pusshead sure. design of the Now That We're Dead shirt. I, I bought, I got the it. baseball um, tee. Oh, that's the one I brought from you from you, Philly. You brought it from Philly, but I wore it to the Detroit show. It's my favorite shirt from the World Wire Tour, yeah. is that Now That We're Dead yeah. tee. Um, I just like think a, it's cool that he's still doing artwork for them, man. It's awesome. And, you know, like his most famous recent thing with them would be the, he you know, he designed St. Anger. Yeah. He didn't do that like um, Bound Angel, but he did the um, the fist. He did the fist, yeah. And then he did this bitchin'. I think it was on the back of the CD of like this skull chick, and she's wearing a necklace with the fist around her neck. Um, isn't it crazy that that was the only like full length album cover he did? 
It is weird. In this interview with Mick Wall, Mick Wall asks him, like, have you ever wanted to do a Metallica cover? And Pusshead basically says, like, I would definitely love to do it, but they haven't asked me yet, and until they ask me, right. I'm not going to do it. And what's interesting is their artwork, their posters, their T-shirts, um, he's the most identifiable with that, especially... Right from Damage Justice on. Like, yeah. one of my favorites of his is the Sabbath True photo where the, the two, two skulls are facing yeah, each other. Yeah, that was great. And all through Load and Reload, all that. But the one time he got asked to actually depict their art was probably the most unquintessential Metallica record. Yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah, isn't sure. it interesting that, I don't know, it just seems very juxtaposed. Or maybe maybe they thought at the time that record was kind of like a, a, a revisiting of, of Thrash. Thrash. Yeah. And they thought, well, let's get Pusset because he was kind of in our world back then. I know but... that maybe they've said that. I know a lot of fans think it was like a return to Thrash. I just don't see it. I don't hear it. I hear elements of it, but I, I or would, maybe they knew that record was so different, and they thought, you know, maybe one way to really bring it home to our OG fans is this will be the one record we finally have. Pusshead, who's so yeah, mostly identified with classic Metallica, will right, have him right. do the artwork, and that'll sort of yeah help usher in this new sound. Yeah, a uh, little fun fact: uh, when I was still playing in Demon Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, the second record that I was on. Uh, now Don and Ryan, who were in the band with me, the singer I'm and the guitar player. Keep on loving you. Was that on that record? <laughs> oh yeah, that's on that record. Yeah. Uh, Don and Ryan are incredible, incredible graphic designers. Have their own company now called Invisible Creature, and they do amazing work. But they reached out and tried to get Pusshead to do our album cover, and turned it down. He turned it down. I don't know the reason. If he was like fuck that, or he was like I'm too busy, sorry, or yeah. he, maybe he's very selective with what he does. But still, kind of cool though. They tried. We tried to get Pusshead to do it. Man, that's that is cool. Yeah, but uh, this uh, other dude named uh, uh, I think his name was Dan Seagrave uh, did these amazing actual paintings of this album we did called the Triptych, and there was four mm-hmm. different versions of the covers, and they were all paintings that he did. They're really badass. I'll say this: I only have one Demon Hunter record called The Extremist, or it's just called Extremist. Extremist, and yeah. um, I love. Th- so they they have a logo which is basically like a. Um, a, a goat is it like it's like, a, it's like a like a demon head with horns with a bullet hole in the forehead and so all of their artwork kind of in a way features this every, every album cover is that has that on there but there's like re, it's classic metal in the sense to me that like it's this sort of motif but it's always very different like one of them was like very like um elemental it's like leaves and shit and bone yeah um some of them are kind of industrial looking. It's really cool. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Clark has done the majority of the covers. Okay, um, so he's uh, kind of like James in the sense that you know James has designed. Yeah, yeah, I know Ryan Clark is, is he's one of the most talented dudes I know in in, in so many aspects of his life and what he does. Um, but I think uh, I'd have to ask him. But I'm pretty sure, other than the the, the triptych album that Dan Seagrave did, I'm pretty sure that he's he's done every other cover. Okay, cool. He's very hands on. I mean, he's, where's he based out of? Seattle. Okay, cool. Yeah, not yeah. Ryan, but the other guy. Ooh, Dan? Yeah. Oh, the painter? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure he's based out of, actually. Okay. I don't know. Um, Another cool thing about St. Anger is, this is unique to Pusshead, is like, he actually did design the St. Anger logo, which is, it's similar to the Load Reload era in that it's it's not the big 80s block shit. Right, yeah. But unlike Load and Reload, the M and the uh, A, they have these horns that wrap around on each other. Yeah. And I kind of dug that logo. Dude, I've got it on my battle vest. Like, I... I think that logo is fucking metal. I I like it better than the Load Reload one. Those are uh, way more simple. 
They are they're the simplest for they sure. Are. Well, the simplest would be the S and M cover. It's just like Helvetica bold. <laughs> yeah, I just also associate uh, Lord and Reeler with the Ninja Star, which I think is one of my f- the Ninja Star is one of my favorite logos. Yeah, that's cool. Just the M. Well, it's the M four M's. Yeah. Well, actually, it's think it's more than four because it's well, actually no, it's just four. I think it's four, yeah. Um, like that. That's in the that in the coil. Don't tread on me, snake, or the up for the running for my Metallica tattoo. Yeah. One of the things that I I didn't actually realize until I started doing some research on Pusshead. I didn't realize he did the Cliff Them All yeah. cover. Yeah. And that's like some of his early, like, like the sketches of the dudes on that. It's so different than what he ended up doing with all the skeleton stuff. Yeah. But pretty cool that they had him do that. Yeah. And he did the Day in the Life stuff too. Yeah. You're in the Half and Life of Metallica. <laughs> day in the Life. Yeah, day in the Life. I'm telling you, I'm going through this big Beatles thing. <laughs> he did this John Lennon shit. <laughs> he, he did some crazy <laughs> Ring, Ringo Starr stuff. Um, yeah, if you've seen the two of one, it was originally like a VHS thing. Right, the one video. Yeah, that that's a good, cl- the one uh, skull is on that thing. Um, the illustrations in, is in Injustice for All, as we talked about earlier. Um, St. Anger, of course. Uh, but some of my favorite designs he's ever done have been all been well, t-shirts. Let's, let's just, like, we can't list them all. And obviously, this is an audio podcast, so we can't. You're going to have to just envision it in your minds. I think a lot of our listeners are quite familiar with this work. Yeah, they should let's, be. let's sort of name some of our favorites, maybe. I would say my number one favorite Pusset design on a Metallica shirt, and I own it and wear it all the time, is the shortest straw. Yeah, where he's where he's he picked the, he's actually picked the shortest. straw. Yeah, and there's like the eyeballs behind yeah, it. That, it's, well, yeah, the eyeballs. And the back has an other skull which says "In Vertigo, You Will Be." Yeah, dude, it's I mean it's it's one of the best Metallica designs in my opinion. It's kind of quintessential Pusset designs. Uh, I mean, between that and the Harvester of Sorrow shirt. Those two are probably my And you're my, such a top. justice cat, too. Like, I can yes. see why. Like, well, th- well, these are also some of the first shirts I bought. Right. Because, you know, by... And this was probably... Because my parents weren't down with some of these t-shirts back then. So I kind of had to hide them. And those are the ones I gravitated towards because of Pusshead's artwork. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing, like, just the shirt that had the Master of Puppets, Puppets cover on it. I'm like, that's cool. But then I look over and I see, you know, the Damage Ink shirt, and I'm like, oh, my God. No, I'm with you. I always, I mean, I, I love their covers. I mean, I, I'll wear a fucking Ride the Lightning shirt every day. But yeah. I do always think that, like, specific song artwork, like, I, I like that it's different than the album cover. It just felt like a continuation of a theme. It's not really a common thing with bands nowadays other than a band this size. Like maybe, you know, the, the Big Four or Iron Maiden or something. But to have a t-shirt that is artwork that is about a specific song. Yeah. Well, I do remember I was a huge Pearl Jam fan. As yeah, still they am, did it a but, lot. Yeah. But I remember I had, I mean, dude, I had a Pearl Jam shirt for every day of the week. I just wore Pearl Jam shirts every day to middle school. And they would just be far out. They would have like I, I wouldn't really even understand myself their connection to their songs or records, but oh, like the shirt I had that on the back, it had a picture of a rhinoceros and it said "Music for Rhinos." Well, I had a shirt with two Siamese twins on it. You know, like yeah, I remember being reprimanded in school because my PE teacher thought it was disgusting. <laughs> and um, but I just I like the continuation of the story. You know, right? Yeah, and you know, Pusshead stuff. He would actually tie it in, like the Sabbath True one. It's two skulls looking at each other. Yeah. And there's another Sabbath true where it's like a broken mirror because you're looking in the mirror. Right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm you, you know. Um, in, in my... Uh, the Don't I, Tread On Me had a big, like, skeleton snake. Yeah, yeah. Which was fucking awesome. Um, that one was great. Um, in my eighth grade yearbook, mm-hmm. which is in my attic somewhere, um, 
there's some little photo in there where, they, where you know, at school they do like lunchtime activities or something. And there you, was some. It's you in the chess club for sure. It was me in the chess club. No, but there was something <laughs> where they did some lunchtime activity thing. Where I remember me and my friends were sitting there and they asked, like, somebody came over, like, Ethan, you want to do this next one? And it was basically sitting on a skateboard with a plunger and trying to get across the quad or whatever. <laughs> Going streaking in the quad. Totally. I think I won, per, first of all. Um, but what's awesome, if I open my yearbooks, to, I mean, and I look at it, I'm wearing a, the Sabbath True shirt. And this is eighth grade. This was uh, nineteen ninety one or late ni- ninety one, early ninety two. So when I was in eighth grade in ninety seven, my yearbook picture is me wearing an Injustice for All shirt. Awesome. There's also another <laughs> more tangents here. Uh, in that same yearbook, um, the yearbook committee, whatever they're called, they they're called the yearbook committee. Okay, cool. Got it right. Um, they did a whole page on. They're all, called the Metal Militia. <laughs> they call the Metal Militia. Um, they did a whole page on all the all the sets of twins at our school. Okay, and you, and your sister. I have a twin sister. Yeah. And the picture is my sister, just looking all adorable and cute. And it's me sitting there with like kind of a mullet growing out, and I'm wearing a shirt that just has a, a giant just anarchy sign on it. <laughs> I went through an anarchy phase. Yeah. Well, and at the time I was getting into Megadeth and there, and that's a, a speaking of metal bands getting into punk. Hello, anarchy. M- Megadeth covered anarchy in the UK by the sex pistols. Oh God. And that's what got me into. What's a, what's a famous lyric from that song? I am the antichrist. I am the antichrist. I am an anarchist. I am an anarchist. Well, don't know what I want, but I know where to get it. I, think. I know where to get it. I want to destroy possibly. I want to destroy. But I want to be anarchy. But I want to be anarchy. <laughs> Dave, get out of here. See you, Dave. David, we need to talk later. In the same things. yearbook that I'm very proudly rocking the Injustice for All tour shirt, which I bought off eBay for like a million dollars. It was like a, an OG. It's crazy that when you were in junior high, you could use eBay. <laughs> I had to go to Rack and Ruin. Um, in that same yearbook, there's another. It's not a picture of me like in the chess club like you but it is like an intercillary like it's just like a picture of like a day in the life of kids at school right yeah i'm on some kid sh- a dude's shoulders who i don't remember or Party. know but i'm on his shoulders <laughs> and i'm wearing a dave matthews band shirt yes <laughs> the fire dance crash shirt. into him jeez this is the tripping billy shirt though. every day tripping billy tripping billy Anyway, good God. Oh my gosh. Let's name some of Pusshead's influences because I think there are, we have a lot of listeners that are in the art world that would might understand. I didn't know any of these people, um, but I did want to read this because I think it's important who these, you know, these people that we love and admire, they were once fans too and yeah. and their influences are important. Let me just name these real quick for those interested. Uh, Bernie Wrightson, who drew Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing's a cool character. Jack Kirby from the Fantastic Four, and he said the Marvel Comics mainstay Alex Nino. Also, Kevin O'Neill, Rick Griffin, Kent Williams, and Simon Beasley. He collects a lot of artists' other work, and he listed one of his um, favorite comic books in 1990 as the Hellraiser series. Oh wow! Which, by the, I'm a huge, huge Clive Barker fan. Yeah. Huge Hellraiser fan, and. Um, in 2006, I got hip to this Hellraiser comic. There's like 75 issues, oh, cool. and I bought them off eBay for like 80 bucks. So all, I have all the issues. I have, and so they're all these like, um, if you know the, if you've watched the, they've made a lot of Hellraiser movies. A lot of them are really, really bad. Yeah. Most people say the first two are canon. I would throw three in there, and maybe even four, because I'm, I just love all this shit. How many do they make? Eight. Eight. They made eight. So less than Friday the Thirteenth, at least. Well, they made eight, I believe, 
and then they made a then they kind of rebooted it, and that one's not good either. Okay, but uh, here's the, here's what they did with that series. Um, Dimension Films, I think, or another another production house, owned the Hellraiser brand. So, in order to keep owning the rights to it, they had to put out a film every so and so years. Oh wow! So what they did was they took rejected Hollywood scripts for horror movies that are, have nothing to do with Hellraiser. Oh my! And gosh. produced them and made them, but sort of injected Pinhead into them. They just have them show up like a little puppet, like, hey, I'm Pinhead, I'm here. It now really, it's a Hellraiser it movie. It really is like that. That sucks. Inferno was the fifth one, which like, it's about this like bad cop who's basically trapped in a purgatory. And they just throw okay. a Pinhead in there like, oh, it's a Hellraiser film. And they just get worse and worse and worse. Uh, see, I want to start with the worst one. Hellseeker. Hellseeker. Okay. Straight to video. I don't even remember if I've, if, I'm sure I did when I was young, watch the first couple well, well, Clive Barker himself, who wrote the novella The Hellbound Heart, directed the first film. Yeah, the second. I, just, one, I think I was young enough to where, if I, like back then, I was too young to where if I saw it, like it was playing during Halloween or something, mm-hmm. and it just freaked me out or something. They're like, ah, really dark. I mean, yeah. they're really, really fucked yeah. up. Well, and Pinhead's one of the like craziest looking horror characters for sure, and his whole backstory is great too. I mean, the, the, well, let's not get into that. But yeah. but anyway, it, it was cool to see that Pusshead loved those comic books because, like any comic books that are novelization type comics of a of a story that people love, yeah, it's all these other artists' take on it, right? Yeah. So it was like seventy five issues of just like different stories in that universe that no, you don't cool. see in the films or in the novella. Yeah, that's great. The original novella is really short. It's called The Hellbound Heart, and it spawned all these movies. That's crazy. I didn't know all this. That's cool. You know, you're more the horror guy, so uh, thank I'm you. I'm more the, the horrible guy. So. You're very horrible, but you're the horror guy. You're going to talk talk about that on a, another episode of- uh, You know what I would really love to do is interview Pusshead on this show. It'd be amazing. It would be like the third interview he's ever given. <laughs> yes. It'd be, the, it'd be the most recent since Mick Walls in 1990. That's crazy. Because I feel like it's got to be something else in there. How do you even contact him? Do you have to like send like a crow out to San Francisco to like drop a note in his? Well, yeah, you have, you have to go to Egypt and like find a genie that buried in a pyramid. You bring a hard boiled egg to Seven Eleven. They'll give you directions yeah. to you his... a frog's leg and a exactly the eye of a witch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just weird. Like, and I know he's proud of his work. He's mentioned it in the few interviews he's sure. done. But anytime I've been asked to talk about work I've done, which hasn't been a lot, but it has happened. Whether it's an interview for a magazine or a podcast or something. I, I'm always happy to talk about it. Sure, I'm yeah. really proud of it. And he might be a private guy in general, though. Just like he might be a private eye in general. Might be a private eye. So watching you, <laughs> or does he's actually a detective? He's a detective, yeah, or he's in Hollow Notes. Yeah, we'll get to the <laughs> one of the two. Well, guess what? Those dudes live here, so we could probably one of them. Does, at least yeah. uh, Daryl lives here. Uh, no, uh, John Oates lives here. I thought Daryl Hall lived here. No, Daryl Hall, I think, I'm pretty sure he's still up in New York. I thought they do the live at Daryl's house in Franklin. No, that's at Daryl's studio in New York. Oh, shit. Yeah. I know a lot about that. Guess who's not going to be on my Hall & Oates podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Robert Trujillo. Exactly. Robert Trujillo probably knows more about Hall & Oates than you do. Well, here's the deal. I'm sure we have listeners who know a lot more about Pusshead. I'm sure we maybe missed a lot. Write in, Metal Podcast Show at uh, gmail.com. Let us know. If anything, let us know what your favorite um, designs of his are. Yeah, your favorite Pusshead design. You know, maybe a maybe a top five. Oh my god! You know, we didn't even mention which I love this so much is the flaming skull that Jason always wore. Oh, the flaming skulls. Yeah. Oh my or, god! There's no, the, the one, the one the two flaming, and there's the one. Yeah. I'm talking about the one flaming skull that Jason always wore. That, that wasn't that during Lo- Load era. Yeah. 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 That's a great nine, one. I think he's wearing it in the Cunning Stunts video. Yeah, that's a great one. I actually have that uh, as a button. 
Oh, shit, really? And oh, did we just have buttons made, by the way? Oh, that'll be, uh, uh, yes. They're not actually at my house yet, but uh, our good friend Trevor, 85 Supply, who's provided all of our merch so far, uh, hit him up the other day, and I was like, hey, man, how much is some buttons? Did you say it like that through the email? I did, yeah. Emma, he, he, he can Emma. he can read my tone of voice, you know. I just, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so we got, we, we actually have to, uh, one black, one white, just inverted colors, but uh, yeah. It's black, it's white. It's a Michael Jackson song. I'm doing some Michael Jackson Danger. You know, Michael Jackson Danger was the first CD I ever bought. That was the first CD you owned? Yeah. Really? Well, it was the first CD I bought with my own money, my 1991. Master of Puppets, motherfucker. A little, a little cooler than mine. Well, it was my first CD. Do my first cassette. The time Ooh. We, we fell, fell in love. love. Keep my, it in the closet. My first. Yeah, please. <laughs> please do. <laughs> Keep it in the closet. Um. We are the world. <laughs> we are the children. We are the person. Fucking Free Willy. Remember Free Willy? Oh my gosh. Uh, how that chorus go? Uh, was that? That's We Are. I think he did uh, We Are like the World. Heal the World. Heal the, heal the World. Make, make it, it a better place. place. You and, and for me and this entire human race. race. There are people, people. dying. <laughs> was that Free Willy or was that? Uh, no, it was. Uh, I think all uh, this is Free Willy. Da 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 something some Phil Collins song <laughs> Phil Collins man but heal the world changes key, like every chorus modulates and change, it goes higher yeah, it's like an eighty Chicago song like it's by just, the end of it you're like heal the world <laughs> you're like sucking helium and like, I can do it I, I I'll do it it's no problem singing that I'm, way, I'm, I'm Michael I'll do it <laughs> oh man well. That's all we got for Pusshead for this episode. Well, we did it. We did it. We completed it. What can we say? We're huge fans of his artwork. I huge, think- huge, huge fan. I told my wife today, I was like, I was researching it. And I was like, man, I'm really glad I researched it because this guy, I didn't know a lot about this guy, but for not knowing a lot about him personally, his his work is so important to it's, Metallica It's fans. very important. I mean, I, I think it's, it's- so fucking iconic. I, I think it's one of the most iconic things about- any image of that easily, band I easily mean, or any metal band almost. i mean if you i mean i mean to this day they not only does he still design stuff for them they still sell those old designs on their website it's like you like oh my god you whenever know what, whenever you know, i go buy a metallica shirt i want to buy a pusshead one first you know what one of my favorites is and they actually just re-released it like in spencer's is he did a whole t-shirt for fixer yes there's a fixer it's one, a yeah. voodoo doll with a classic pusshead skull with fucking pins in it yeah good god yeah pinhead Hellraiser 10. Well, that was a 10. Dad? (laughs) Uh, I also, one of my other favorite designs, uh, it's fairly simple, but it's the 30th anniversary shirt. Love it. Love it. With the three X's. Yep. I know. God damn it. He probably, you know, he might have liked that design because it's straight edge. (laughs) Yeah. No caffeine. X's, yeah. Not even any caffeine. No way, man. Uh, But yeah, I mean, as as you all know, as you're listening here, you you guys probably own Pusshead Designs. You probably own the shortest structure. You the probably own shirt. actual puss heads because you have not cleaned your skin with clear cell. Remember clear cell? Oh, clear cell. Yeah. yeah, I never, I never really had to use that. I never had a bad acne. Problem. I had pretty bad acne in high school, like really? debilitating. Yeah, never had that. What was the really bad drug people started taking? Accutane. Accutane. I took it. Where it basically made you like bleed out and stuff. Like it, it basically pushed everything out of your. Pores. I took Accutane. Um, you like couldn't go out in the sun. Right. It was a, you get, like crazy nosebleeds and stuff. Extreme drug. I also did the thing where I would go to a dermatologist and they would actually put shots and needles in every pimple on my face. Whoa. Which at a, at, at a certain point in time was quite a lot. 
It was yeah. very painful and scary. And did nothing for... Here's how, here's how you cure acne. Just get older. Just get older. Just age. It'll go away. Well, it really will. But, I mean, unfortunately, some people, like, have it so bad at a young age. Like, I mean, Hetfield, even has James, got scars. Yeah, yeah. You, it can scar you. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I love that about James. <laughs> I love that he's got these... Almost it's like these battle wounds. Dude, of, what of don't youth. kill you make you more strong. <laughs> you rise, you fall. Rise. <laughs> you rise, you fall. You rise, you fall again. And then you're down again. And then you're down again, yeah. I like that song. I love Broken, Beaten, Scarred. I was uh, Can I end on something that I still need to send you? Uh, I just want to tell everybody, I, I'm sure it would speak of uh, Death Magnetic. Uh, there was, you know, when Guitar Hero came out, there was like the unmastered version and people started remastering Death Magnetic. Well, I decided to do it the other day. Oh, I've heard it. It's fucking awesome. I can't just like send it to people because it's kind of illegal, but... Um, we will go to jail. I, I to At jail. one point I found online, like a, uh, uh, it was a remastered version that I found, but it was still very quiet. So I remastered that and I actually added reverb, a good like room kind of reverb All right, to the let's go ahead and thing. do this, Ethan. So someone wrote in about our Kill em All box set episode and said after two and a half hours of a star Metallica, they said one thing we didn't talk about enough apparently is what oh, remastering what remastered and mastering means can we just take a minute because you've you've basically done a faux remaster of death magnetic i did yeah can we just try to explain what it means again okay here we go mastering is basically taking the final mixes of an album you record it uh, you put your heart and soul into it. So uh, the mixing engineer goes through and he mixes it and balances everything and makes everything sound clear. And you can hear all the little parts in the well, record. Here, here's a here's a good setup for it. Like some people said, um, "San Anger obviously sounds like shit." Oh, wait, wait, is that in dispute yes. at all? I don't think so. Now people have said, "Why don't they just remaster it?" Remastering "San Anger" will change nothing about why it sounds like shit because right. mastering has nothing to do with mixing. Correct. Mixing's when you take the actual guitar left, guitar right, guitar center, thickener, James's vocal, the harmony vocal, and you treat every track by itself. That's mixing. Yes. You put this effect on it, you clean it up, you spruce it up, you put high end in it. Mastering is not that. What, what a master engineer receives is... Uh, like fully in, mixed. And nowadays is like a one wave file that is a fully mixed song. And, and they have no access to individual stems. Yeah, you can't you can't pull all those all those parts out. Right. So what they're doing is they're essentially putting what they do on this one track, and that is essentially you know you're making it a lot louder. You make it maybe a bit punchier, a big a bit bigger sounding, adding some more low end, some more high end. You know. Uh, but it's kind of across the board though. It's yeah, it's, you're, you're you're altering the sound a little bit. Now a mastering engineer engineer can really fuck up and ruin a mix. Sure. But a good mastering engineer is taking what you've done in the studio and just making it grander and And it's not and just making it louder. No. A, lot, a lot of like kind of faux mastering people, maybe in a town like Nashville, yeah. they just make it louder. And, and people assume like, oh, it's louder, it's mastered. That's not... The goal really isn't to make it louder. The goal is to... The goal is to make every dynamic range of that waveform um, as solid as it can be. Right. So that you use really subtle compression. 
everything you do in mastering is extremely subtle. It's subtle. It, it might be something as simple as, let's say, uh, the original master of Kill 'Em All. The symbols were so bright. It and tones you, them down. And when you crank the record, it kind of hurts your ears. So yeah, right. you, you maybe cut out that frequency that, it, that that's popping up there and pull that back a little bit and it takes the harshness away of those symbols, but not so much that it alters the whole sound of the recording. That's why someone said, like, why don't you guys talk more about the difference between a remaster and the truth is, and Michael Wagner talked about this in our Michael Wagner episode, he's very against remasters because yeah. he sort of chalks it up to, he's a little more cynical than maybe I feel about it, but he's not that far off where he says, calling something remastered is just another way to sell it again. Which is true. It's true. Like, it's because true. You're not, now, if you say, oh, um, full remix of St. Anger, we've replaced the Ting Ting with a real snare, just like they did on the Some Kind of Monster at Radio Edit. Yeah. And we've touched up the vocals and we've revisited all the stems and just cleaned it all up. Yeah. Now that's valuable. Or And Justice for All. But we've added, we've we've brought we up the level of the, the bass, bass. Exactly. which you cannot do in mastering. You can't do in mastering. You could add low end, but you, that's not going to... you're going to affect the entire track. Exactly. The entire the, bulk of the that means, audio. That means the, the kick drum, the toms, the vocals. everything's going to have more low end, not just the bass. Right. Um, but yeah, so... That, I hope that answers your question. Um, but what you did, which is really cool, because Ethan AB'd this for me, is um, he took he took all of Death Magnetic, the unmastered version, which you get on Guitar Hero, or right. Guitar, whatever. Guitar bullshit. It's fun. He had a little bit of reverb, because that record's dry as a bone. Yeah, very and dry. And what else did you do? Did you you put a little bit of... I, I, I honestly did two simple things. I've, I've got this kind of... Uh, uh, this this plugin I it's use. It's like a mastering template. Kind it's like of. a mastering thing and, there, and there's basically presets for uh, master uh, to add mastering plug into your master track. Um, and so I just kind of went through them and all of a sudden I clicked on one and it just sounded like it did add some more low end which I think the record lacks a little bit. Sure. It did uh, add a little um, what's that? It's bright. It's, it's bright, bright and brash. Yeah. Um, and so I just I just put that on there and I'm like uh, and it's and it, one of the options is called stereo width which basically I turn that up a little bit so what that does is when you're listening to it on speakers it widens and the image it widens the image it makes the guitar track sound further apart that kind of thing so it, it, pops, it gives a dimension yeah yeah it almost makes certain parts pop out more and then other than that I I put like a kind of a reverb plugin on there that it was more of a a, a room like a big room sound like a big studio room like where but, you record but, drums or but something subtly dialed in subtly where you don't really hear it unless there's it's like, like a cigarette um, record now. Like the intro of the day that never comes where Lars hits the right because those drums on, are so dry. They're so dry. So I added that to it and played it for Clint. And it was kind of like I even was listening to it by myself the night before. And I was like, put it on my phone. And I was driving and run errands the next day. And I was like, shit, I made oh, a good remaster of this. I told you then. I said, immediately send this to me so I can. And I didn't. <laughs> and then you, um, this is me not so subtly telling you to all of our fans, send that shit to me. Uh, okay, I'll send it to you. Um, and maybe we'll send it to you too if you're lucky. I don't know. If you're lucky. Here's the deal. Write to us, metalbrewpodcast show at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the episode, about Pusshead, about your favorite e designs. E Ethan's butt. I don't know. Yeah, my butt, please. Here's your other homework. Go leave the review. It only takes a second, and we're going to give you some free shit for doing it. Check out the Patreon if you want to get involved in their level. This website that's about to come out is going to have our Amazon store, so just look out for that. All of our new listeners, all of our young listeners that wrote in this week, uh, Meg, who helped us out with a lot of the research for Pusshead. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to all of you. Um, we've got some really cool shit planned for the next few months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I was doing the Kool-Aid guy. Oh, I yeah. was doing fuel. You were doing fuel. <laughs> uh, let's just get out of here. All right. All right. Peace. Adios. <laughs> Were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>